It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Welcome to the Troopity Show. My name's James Troopity and this is my show. Today we are looking at Wrestle Kingdom 17 and New Year's Dash in depth with Alex Watt later on in the show. But to start the show off, we're going to look at Blate version 4 from Currican Hall, which occurred on the 30th of December 2022 in the past. And to talk about this, because he's our genuine Glate correspondent, it's Mr. Marcus Green. How are you doing, sir? Good man, back at it. Uh, talk about probably one of the smoothest, almost four-hour shows of wrestling. Uh, four hours worth of wrestling you'll see all year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, this this was good. <laughs> yeah, this was, yeah. this was good. We we you, you I mean that's basically we could title that the Gleet section on like the SoundCloud or wherever you, wherever we put this like this Gleet. This was good. Like we could just, uh, <laughs> but but this show in particular, and the kickoff. Well, we we're talking about it in the new year, but to end the year with this level of a banger, with a show at that at that particular venue, with what they did. I mean, it's just it's it's why you watch Bleed, and it's a great culmination of a year for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. This was uh, an intriguing show with some intriguing matches that have been built together really well. Um, and, you know, there's lots of competition in Japanese wrestling around this year, time of year as far as, like, what's good and what's great and, you know, the things that are going on. Because it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the time of the big shows. The following day, DDT had a big show. Um, the day after that, it was Noah's turn and obviously up Wrestle Kingdom the following week. There's just so much stuff going on. Um, it's just, it's difficult to kind of, like, sometimes just difficult to uh keep up be, yeah be that and just be that good <laughs> yeah it, so, i mean it's yeah and, and kudos to you and, and to the people that are listening man because you know we we do uh and james with as busy as he always is thankfully um you know we do do manage to you know pass on some of the great fan uh, comments and, and, and appreciation for the show in general, just being as broad as, as it is. We, you know, we do try to cover a litany of things. Um, you know, everybody and their mama kind of <laughs> keeps up with, you know, WWE and AEW uh, on, on my side of the pond, if you will. But we do uh, try to cover, you know, just so much of the, like the Japanese stuff. And obviously Glee has been something that's been brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant discovery in a way. And obviously, you know, get back in New Japan and you know James always you know like I said he's a wrestling encyclopedia to me anyway when it comes to the historical context so you know we very much appreciate those comments that we get and uh probably more notoriety from some more popular people than I, do, I even know more recently so <laughs> yeah we we had some nice comments from um several people and people in within the professional wrestling industry about the things we talk about on this show so that's been really nice to see so much support for us and it's nice for the end of the year definitely so we'll get back to Gleet though the opening match was a uwfa rules match this was version four this would means that they had essentially two shows on one night a uwf show and a g show the UWF show opened with Minoru Tanaka defeating Ronnie Fujiwara at 3 minutes and 54 seconds. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Because this was short but sweet and really good. I really enjoyed it. Oh, these UFW 
uh, UF, uh, UWF matches came out swinging, uh, pun intended. Um, yeah, this was good, short and sweet, and, and to the point what you want with this stuff. Rion came with the smoke for Minoru, who is usually all game for this stuff, but Rion was like, yo, man, you're going to have to get me out of the way <laughs> quick. And I think Minoru realized that early because he kind of he dropped him. Um, after he, he lost the point, he dropped him, and then it's like, I'm not going to necessarily, I might not be able to stand with this cat. So when he caught him with the, uh, I think, was he caught him with a heel hook or, you know, um, just the leg submission in general, uh, which was really great to see because I, I thought for a second he was going to be able to break it and he dragged him to the middle, as you should, and, and leg bind him and got him on the bottom there. I was like, Minoru, that's, that's the guy. That's what you got to do in these situations because, honestly, the way it was going, I didn't know if he was going to be able to keep standing up with Rion because Rion, I think he got him by some pounds and by some muscle, and he was using that. Like, there was there was some wind coming behind his shots. So, you know. That's why they call awesome. Minora Tanaka the special one. This was a bit special. It was really good. Um, come from behind victory. He was down on points and then eventually takes it out with submission. Um, next up, we had a tag team match under UWF rules. They do happen. <laughs> um, Mayo Fukuda and Michiko Miyagi defeated Miki Iwata and Yura Suzuki. Six minutes and 22 seconds. The last time we saw Fukuda, she was losing in a Thai boxing match on the Great MMA show. This was much more kind of the speed we're used to seeing her in. Uh, Yura Suzuki is new to us, I think. She's from Union Wrestling. And this was one of the most exciting tag matches we've seen from the Joshi wrestlers and just from the wrestlers and the Glade tag team division, as far as UDFI is concerned, since the start of the company. I think you'll probably agree, Marcus, uh, when we've had visitors to Glade, Fukuda has been the weak link in the tag team that represented um, Glade in these matches. And in this match, she was a knockout, absolute killer blows. In fact, she got the knockout victory with a, a kick to Yura Suzuki. Miki Iwata um, is, of course, uh, a Sendai girl. She's a protege maker, Satamora, who has some of the stiffest kicks in pro wrestling. Um, and this match was a lot of fun to watch, but it was especially different to see Fukuda taking a lead in this particular match um, and kind of like setting things up for down the road as far as uh, Glade is concerned because suddenly they have a knockout queen. Yeah, look, man, if, if, if you know, Fukuda's in the building and she has a section of one, I'm that one. Um, <laughs> I love absolutely, you know, watching this girl, uh, this young lady, I should say, rise and, and, and not only in wins and confidence and everything that she does, but it also helped that... <laughs> Look, Miyagi started out the match with I think uh, uh, Iwata, mm-hmm. and did her thing, and I think she caught her with a shot, and then she's like, "No, nah, I'm good for the rest of the night." My, you got it. <laughs> she like she just trying to throw like, "You got it. You got the rest of the match." Like, no, but like it's a tag team match. Like, no, but you got it. Like, you got it. You the knockout queen. You knock me out. You got it. Like she did. Like, of course, it's a Japanese show. Nobody's talking, but just from her body language and her face, that's what she said to me, and. Mayo was like, all right, I got it. And she and she and she had it. And obviously, you know, I, I, I'm always worried about my girl because I'm like, okay, now you're getting a little too. Sometimes she might get a little too overconfident in the stand up and she'll get caught. And sometimes she might not shake back. But here, like you said, she's 
quickly becoming the knockout queen. And I think was it Suzuki? Uh, Suzuki she knocked out. Yeah, she yeah. like that. Yes, Suzuki was like, "I want my leg back after the match," which was which was funny because she kind of she she got knocked for a loop, and when she came back to herself, she was like, "No, run it back." And she was like, "Run it back." So I'm looking forward to seeing them either run that in the singles uh, or do a tag again. But yeah, man, anytime Fukuda, um, you know, can can get a win like that, I I love it, and and it felt like Miyagi was genuinely happy to see it. Um, so just that building camaraderie is just great. It's uh, continuing to bring her story full circle. I love it. Yes, me too. It's just a, a nice little match. Um, this match was a, a bit different, actually. Shinya Aoki uh, went up against Takori, Ta- uh, one of our favorites, Takanori Ito. 15 minutes, it went to a time limit draw. Uh, this was awfully close, always through, all the way through the match. The match ended 1-1 at the end, so tied on points, so they couldn't decide a winner, hence the reason why it was a time limit draw. If they'd gone for time and somebody was ahead on points, then they would have had a winner. But this was a war of attrition, and this was perhaps the most closely contested UWF match since we've seen the rebirth of UWF with through the depth. So what's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Oh, absolutely. I, I love this match. It's probably one of my favorites of the night, hands down. And uh, I, I think, to me, the draw of these type of matches and why, you know, so much of it is intriguing to me because it does come off like like physical chess. Uh, because look, it, it's not too many times Ito is kind of outmatched, whether it be in size or certainly skill. Um, and he certainly had the size coming in here. And this is my first time saying Aoki. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, you come in there and they 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 trading early on. It's going back and forth. Like okay, like Ito got the size and 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 I think probably the strength. And he, he shook him at first. And then, like, okay, Ito go dictate the pace. That's not how I went. That's not how I went. Um, I was worried for Ito throughout this because every time Ito went to that floor, uh, Aoki got him to the floor, Aoki came off on the ground like the bigger guy because he kept, he stayed on him. He kept him, you know, out of position. Every time Ito tried to shake free, he caught him in a submission, and he was he was going to the ropes. And it just got to the point where Ito was like, I just got to grab this this guy and throw his ass or, or toss him. And, it, and then, you know, it quickly became his game plan because he kept going for that German. Uh, and Aoki was like, nope, nope, we're not doing, we're not doing that. And it was, it was causing him to lose points. And I'm like, this is going to end up having to be high goals because every time Ito got on that floor, Aiko came up with the win. And, and it kind of, I got mad when it was over because every time I think of a time limit, I think of you. So, but, but here I was like, look, y'all got to run this back and y'all got to give it like, like uh, unlimited time limit because this was too good. But yeah, it was, uh, I, I need them to run that back. Definitely. Aoki is actually a DDT regular. He's the current DDT KOD 10-man tag team champion along with the 37 Kamina, um, <laughs> which they won in July. And I'm the typical DDT kind of thing. He's a former three-time DDT extreme champion. He's won the Iron Headman Heavy Metal Championship. To be fair, there's not many wrestlers in the world who haven't won the Iron Man Heavy Metal Championship. Um, the Young Bucks biography won the Iron Man Heavy Metal Championship at one point. Uh, the book. I mean, the actual book was the champion, <laughs> which was challenged by another book. 
Uh, anywho, uh, the last DDT, and do the rest a bit more serious than that. Uh, the next matchup was Tetsuya Izuki versus Yu Iska. Seven minutes, 29 seconds. as a um, bit of 60 seconds, guys, up against the Hontai team. This was a competitive in a different way. This was a lot more back and forth. Um, yeah. I think we got down to 3-3 at one point. And very strike-heavy, as you can imagine, with a kickboxer going up against a kickboxer. Yeah, it was good. It was another. It was another good one. Um, like you said, uh, far more back and forth. Really great stuff. Um, the Suya, the Suya was on. Obviously, you brought it right back to him. Um, but you know, once they got down, it was looking like it was going to be even potentially going either way. The Suya was like, "Look, I got that. I'm not playing." Caught him. I think he stunned him with a kick. I legitimately think he knocked him out on his feet. But he didn't care to test of whether or not he did, so he followed it up with a German and just and just cleared it. So, yeah, that was uh, it, it, it was a, it was another good one. But I always appreciate, particularly going back to the the previous one with Ito, when they do go back to doing like traditional wrestling moves, because you almost forget about it getting caught up in the strike exchanges. That that's 100% something else they could do. And I think sometimes some guys almost cut themselves off at the knees not doing it. Because it ends up saving them, which, which I think I think it did for Edo, and I think it, it closed, like I said, it closed it out for Tetsuya here. So, but I think this is also one they can run back because I think you, uh, particularly any of you guys from 60 Seconds in general, they always end up having the the the, the run stuff back. Obviously, you is in the ball of 60 Seconds, but I, he, he has that 60 second energy, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. With you. <laughs> Young guys do make this company come alive, really, a lot of the time. Speaking of 60 seconds, John Tonsho and Kichi Sato tagged up with Gringo Loco to defeat Jack Cartwheel, Sepetimo Dragon, and Somo Anari in 8 minutes 59 seconds as we moved from the UWF portion of the show into the Glade Show and went with the traditional opening Lucha-style fest of flying bodies everywhere. And, you know, with Jack Cartwheel and uh, Gringo Loco, it's not going to be, like, static, was it? No, and I very much enjoyed it for that 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 particular dynamic. Jack Caldwell got out there and said, yo, I'm Flamita in this match. You know, I'm going to be Flamita in this match. And it was just, look, man, 60 seconds is a particular faction. They, they got smaller guys, smaller guys that can move, got a lot of energy, a lot of revs. And, and Gringo Loco, you know, brings a certain energy to him because while he may look like a thicker guy, he moves like he's in 60 seconds. Um but yeah, it was just great all around, you know. Uh, Septimo Dragon, Jack Caldwell going all over the place, and then sixty seconds having to match him off to watch Nabe doing this thing. Uh, but I think what it came down to, I think what it was was it Loco that closed out Caldwell when he caught him up top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was great because you thought it was going one way, and and Loco kind of flipped it on his head with a really great move off the top rope. And uh, this is another one. I say this a lot, ironically enough, with these league matches that they can run back because this was another situation where it could have went, it could have went either way. And this, uh, this is another one of those instances where you kind of just surrender to just enjoying everything that you're seeing in the match, even though even if you can't keep up with everything. So yeah, it is. It's, it's a good unplug brain watch wrestling kind of match. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something that had a little more meat to it, if you will. Uh, in all uh, senses of the word, was a bit of a uh, grudge match, which we don't get too often, really, in Glate. Uh, but Quiet Storm, 
was not happy with Hartley Jackson after Hartley Jackson turned the invite to join Bulk Orchestra down and went with Black Generation instead. So Quiet Storm wrestled um, Hartley Jackson. In two minutes and 37 seconds, Quiet Storm took out the win, um, which was intriguing because it was just a roll-up that got in the win. It wasn't a big manly meat, slapping meat kind of match at all, really. It just kind of went a bit short, which I guess when the amount of matches they had to have on this show, something had to be a bit short. <laughs> but yeah, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, that's what it was. They got in and they, they got out of there. Uh, you know, it was kind of like a like a physical quick reprimand of uh, like, OK, you don't want to be a part of us. All right, but, you you know, you're going to you're going to take two hours. I'm going to put a I'm going to put a little bit of uh, hurting on you a little bit, because like I said, it was it was a short match. But then he also got him with um, a roll up, which could potentially in some ways be more um, of a sticking point to the ego. Than, than, than taking, you know, I, I guess the proverbial three-second tan, if you will. So we'll we'll see if that continues or this was just, a you know, a one-off of like, okay, this what you don't want to take our offer? Okay, here you go. T- take this L with your, with your new buddies, you know, so. Speaking of the buddies, Gringo Loco came down at the end of the match to announce he was part of Black Generation uh, with a Sky Twister press onto a pro and quiet storm. Um... The Bork Orchestra guys came down to make the save and kind of pushes Bork Orchestra more in a face direction, but they're not really quite fully face yet, are they? But that's the best big feud is going to be Black Generation versus Bork Orchestra. Yeah, I'm not going to complain on that, but I'm also not the one that'd be prone to pick a fight with Bork Orchestra either. <laughs> I think Black Generation are going to try and win it on numbers more than size. Um, next up, Shima wrestled uh, the world's most famous COVID-denying pizza baker, Luigi, Luigi Primo, in six minutes and 28 seconds in a, a match that was, uh, uh, it happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah we, we, all, we almost need shirts at this point with, with what it happened for some of these matches that we had to talk about. Yeah, I, I got hungry for a second and then I got mad because I'm like, if he actually tries to bake that, like it's gonna taste like hands. Like it's just, <laughs> it's gonna taste like hands. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just sitting up there, kind of almost mad at Seema. I'm like, would you please put him away? And eventually he did. But I'm like, okay. But yeah, like you said, it happened. You know. It's about yeah. It's, it's like he would not be allowed in the country unless he'd had a pro a COVID vaccination. So clearly. <laughs> The um, COVID denying thing only went as far as a paycheck. <laughs> nice to see you standing by your principles there, Luigi. Anyway, let's move on for the Gfinity Tag Team Championships. Bork Orchestra, the current champions, Czech Shimitani and Hayato Tamura defeated Strongheart, Siski Anaskika and Black Generation Flamita and Yutani. 17 minutes and 13 seconds. Bit of a corker. 7.45 from the cage match users. This was special. I really enjoyed this. I'm not a big fan of three-way tag team matches, as people have many times before have stated, but this was really good, and it really kicked off the second half of the show with a bang. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? You know, like you said, absolute cork. It was one, It was another one of those situations where uh, you, you, you kind of turn your brain off, but, in, in, you know, um, obviously paying a little bit more attention because obviously there's championship implications just with the guys alone. Um, like I said, you got you, you what you got. Black generation in here, 
with uh strongly book orchestra is is obviously studs but like strong hearts and black generation really wanted it and, and vocal orchestra had to be on their p's and q's because it was they was coming after like it got to a point where i think he said was just going off with spears um and then anytime uh eerie gets gets momentum everybody's in trouble so you know i, th- I think i might probably run back and watch this one just because you almost got to slow down the tape because of everything that was going on but i do appreciate seeing and historically, I've appreciated like more multi-man matches than James, but you know James is obviously more traditional. But I always appreciate it because the level of talent can kind of elevate that situation. And and when these type of matches happen, I'm kind of used to it just being two guys in the ring, and then the third part of having to find a way to tag in. So I appreciate it legitimately being a triple threat in every sense of the word. But uh, yeah, both pulled out the the retention and uh. I mean, ultimately, the views in the crowd won. So, you know, I, I definitely see some form of this happening in the rematch or them potentially running this back. So, For sure. I think it's going to be really intriguing to see what goes on with these three teams again. Um, just a moment for Hayato Tamora's incredible um, extensions that he had put in. Bearing in mind that a year ago he lost the, in the 10-man elimination tag, it, it was him that had his hair shaved uh, in the hair versus hair, strong hearts versus bulk orchestra match that happened last January. Um, he's come full circle and is now using cornrow extensions, which is a statement. <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> um, next up, we have some very special guests from New Japan Pro Wrestling. As Wasegu the Babblers, they have on Bushi and Sanada came in for a match. Now, this comes back to Wrestle Kingdom last year when T Hawk announced that he had an open challenge for any New Japan Pro Wrestlers and he needed a partner. And the partner he went to was Kazayashi. That may have been a mistake <laughs> as they lost. But 17 minutes and 21 seconds, and for once, Bushi was not the person that got pinned. So, you know, yeah. Um, but this was kind of classic LIJ all the way with some interesting stuff from Kazayashi and T-Hawk. I love Kazayashi. I love T-Hawk too. Um, and they really did kind of make this match work. Um, LIJ are Rudos and people forget that. They are supposed to be guy guys. And it really does work very well when you've got T-Hawk and Kazayashi. You can really milk everything for what it's worth in this kind of match. So this was great. It was it's not got any folks from the cage match users, and I don't understand why. It was because it's like Sonata and Bushi could have a proper match and not worry about anything else other than just having a decent match. And that's why I think I loved it so much. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, you say cage match kind of lowballed them? They did. No one's voted for it. So there's no oh, marks wow. on it. That's interesting. I wonder. And what did you say? Did they rate the last match? They got 7.45 for the last match. Gotcha. Which I think I, is fair. I've gone yeah, a little I, bit higher than that, but yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's because it came after that that they feel like it was just kind of like like more regular than 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 it came off to us because we know this is kind of a you know obviously more New Japan in uh, Glee and then particularly with it being Lij um, and like you said maybe T Hawk could have potentially picked another partner. I don't know if that would have did anything because LIJ fluidity is almost legendary at this point. Um, which you saw with the ending to this match with what Bushi did and then you got, uh, you know, followed it up with the, you know, 
Sonata's combination. But um, yeah, I mean, this was this was really great. I, I love to see them go up against a number of tag teams. You, you could throw them honestly if you would take out looking at the last match. One of the teams, I think you could easily slide Bushi and Sonata in there um, for a potential title shot. But yeah, this was this was this was really solid. It's not easy to go against really any combination of LIJ, but particularly Bushi and Sonata. So you know, hats off to those two. But uh, yeah, like I said, they they just kind of lost to to the experience, really. Um, and also, that's not taking a shot of cash. I'm just talking about the fluidity of the the teaming of LIJ. It's just on a different level. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And then we get to the main event of the evening for the G-Rex Championship, which was currently held by El Linderman. He's held that title for most of this year. And I think this was his eighth defense. And he took on the man who came into the company in uh, October and has gone through the entire roster like a wrecking ball, Kato Ishida. Eight, 20 minutes and eight seconds of an absolute thriller. Ishida has been worth whatever money they've paid him and they could pay him double because he has done things with this company that have just pushed it above and beyond. And, you know, there's an old saying pro wrestling, you're only as good as your top heel. Well, as top heels go, Keita Ishida Ishida has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, He loses the match here, but I don't think that's a bad thing because I think he gets away. He has another bite of the cherry somewhere down the line. And that's going to be the story because you're going to get this match again and again and again. This is a long-term rivalry that can really make the company sing. I'm really glad that Keita Ishida got pushed to the championship this early. Um, but hopefully we see the momentum build and build and build because these two could go anytime you wanted to and main event anywhere you want them to. This was brilliant. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Everything you said, and like we always say, there's matches we talk about and, and can talk about, you know, from a, just to being a, a classic or anything type of perspective um, and all that jazz that we blew in the face. But these are the matches that we say you just need to go watch. You go watch. And particularly if you've been following Glee and you're a fan of L. Linderman um, at all, definitely go watch this match. You really should watch this whole car because it's a great show. And the fact that, like I said, it's almost four hours and flies the way that it does, uh, just just from the sheer level of performance and enjoyment. And obviously, I'm, I'm biased at this point, but it, it really does flow. Um, but yeah, this this match, you know, and Al Linderman always brings it. But like you said, to have somebody as great of a dance partner as what Kato did here, um, she really brought it, came with a game plan. You got to have some type of game plan going against Linderman at this point. Targeted the legs, really you know, met him at every turn. And like you said, obviously, Linderman got the match. But if you take a look at how they both looked at the end of the match, you wouldn't be able to tell who won. You know, that's how that's how good it was. They were both laid out. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely a rivalry we'll be seeing going back and forth because he could have easily took it off of him. And I think maybe potentially that, that might be something we see down the line because obviously nothing lasts forever, particularly in wrestling. So, you know, he may very well be the next – uh, G-Rex champion. You know, I wouldn't, like you said, pay the man whatever he's worth and more, and, and you know, this is definitely somebody that can lead you, you know. Definitely. Um, and it's kind of sets them up for the next event, uh, which is going to be Glade 5, because uh, they're going to do another big show. The main event of that will be the winner of the Glate Rambo, because they're in the Rambo, um, and they're going to put them up against 
GUX, the GUX Championship against El Lindemann. So there's some wild stuff that could happen there. The other announcement match I can remember because I haven't got the list in front of me is uh, Michiko Miyagi versus Tomiyaku Honma, which is good and bad because I'm not convinced that you want a guy who's been accused of assault and battery of a former partner in a mixed tag, mixed singles match. That's yeah. something I'm not great with. Yeah, the tone death does come to mind there. Mm, it's just worrying, but mm, out of everything, I suppose. Um, but I think it'll be the usual level of great fun. We know, I mean, the, we will call companies out, even if we much as we love them. If we think they're doing something dubious, we will call them out on it because that's the way it goes. Um, you know, and to be fair to Honma, he's been accused. He, there's never been investigations into it, as far as I know. Um, but I believe women when I hear them. So we'll take that into consideration. Um, but yes, yeah, so where do you think Glate can go in the next 12 months, Marcus? Yeah, again, like, like you know, we always say when we get to this portion of it, like, even more so, like, you know, hitting, because um, this happened at the Dome, and this was great to see, the presentation, how they kicked off the show. Um, you know, they really took it as, as serious as it was. Um, it was. It was really cool to see. I, I expect, as I usually say, seeing them bring in more talent, um, obviously with New Japan and maybe from, you know, other places. Um also, like you said, these, these rivalries, different stuff heating up. Um, it's gonna be interesting seeing just how long Linda makes it. His, he literally looks like he's like, like he just came off the stage of the Olympics with all these medals he's racking up. Like it's, it's <laughs> nuts. So we go see like how long this goes. But you know, you can't go wrong. They got so many great options for champions. Like we said, they don't have, you know, this overly extensive roster, but they have such quality of depth in that in that locker room. So. Um, I just think it's just continuing to go up and up and up and it, it continually expand and hopefully we see them uh, run a, run that dome more. Um, they 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 do some really great you know great intimate shows as well. But you know they I think they've earned you know a, a stage like the dome and they showed out here. So um, just continued elevation and consistency. You know what what they what they've all they've done all year. You know. Definitely, I completely agree with that. There's something they need to keep going forward with, definitely. All right, then. Well, that covers us for Gleet for 2022. We're now going to move on to Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash. So we'll see you on the other side of this break. And welcome back to the Troopany Show. Joining us now to take a look at Wrestle Kingdom 17 and New Year's Dash is indeed Mr. Alex Watt. How are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm all right. It's um, yeah, nice to be back. I don't think I've been on the pod since we all did Forbidden Door, which seems so long ago now. So <laughs> New Year's resolution is clearly to come on the show more, for starters. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back. So New Year's Dash was, sorry, New Year's Dash, we'll talk about that in a bit, but Wrestle Kingdom 17 was kind of a lot more anticipated than previous years. It was a lot more compact as far as like the layout was concerned because they ditched the idea of running two days. They just ran the one. Marcus, what were you thinking of when you saw this lineup? Well, I thought it was a great lineup. I was uh, thanking the wrestling guys that they split it up like this um, because it's just it's you know it, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, when I once I saw the lineup, I thought you know because I. Basically, 
you know, you know this from my Glee covers. I've basically been on the excursion scour- the to Glee <laughs> um, <laughs> for, my, for my Japanese wrestling. So, um, I, you know, you, you can never go wrong with a Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and, and I thought, particularly looking at cars coming after the pandemic, this was probably one of their better ones and, and had a lot of good momentum across the car going into it from several different matches. So, uh, I definitely was digging what I was seeing, and like I said, I was grateful that they they kind of split it up like this to kind of let some of the things kind of blow over to the to the next uh, big show later in the month. So, yeah, I was uh, I was liking what I was seeing. I think so. There was a lot more um, reduction in like, they didn't give away the the shop in this particular card, but there was plenty of things to keep you interested. What about you, Alex? Because You've not been totally into New Japan either over the last couple of years, have, have you either? No, exactly. I mean, yeah, pretty much agree with what you guys have said because it ended up being a really enjoyable show. couple of issues that we'll chat about, but overall, like, <laughs> really well-paced. They gave the time to the big matches at the end of the show. We got two big sort of epic main events at the end as a result. And, yeah, as you say, not really kept up with New Japan the last couple of years apart from you know the big matches that people are talking about and it was a nice experience to return to this world because there's still something about how epic the big matches feel in that ring in in the dome um even if the fans can't react as much as they probably could a few years ago um yeah key thing was it was a one night wrestle kingdom again in terms of Obviously, they've got the Noah crossover show coming in a couple of weeks, but not having the back-to-back New Japan shows like they've had the last couple of years. I know why they did that across two nights, but it was never quite the same, and it meant this one-night Wrestle Kingdom, the pace of it, it it just worked really well. Yeah, I I mean, look, I was thinking back to when me and John talked about Wrestle Kingdom last year, and dear God, it dragged. Like especially yeah. the second day, it was like watching paint dry. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was honestly, it was like, oh god, are we still here? And Which it, you never it was, want to feel about New Japan. No, it isn't. It, and, and as well, it was like, of course, because they did a bunch of stuff on the first day, they had to be follow up on the second day, and it was like a lot of it grated, like Master Wato pinning Desperado after he just had that epic match. It's like, well, you didn't have to do that just then, did you? <laughs> you know, there's things like that that were natural booking choices and there was nothing wrong with doing what they did, but you could have done it at Currican two weeks later and you had the same effect. And not in front of a massive crowd on a pay-per-view because you had to put this match together because you got to fill four hours. So yes, six hours of wrestling on one day is better than eight hours of wrestling on two. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the show opened up with Bolton Oleg versus Ryu Aula. It was a time that drew three minutes. This was a pre-show exhibition match. Um, originally, Kevin Kelly suggested it would all be purely amateur wrestling, but there was a little bit of a professional exchange towards the end. Alex, what do you think of this young man from Russia? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, this was kind of what you expect from these <laughs> exhibition matches, wasn't it? Um, like you say, it was interesting that the amateur rules shifted into more of the, the pro style towards the end, but I think that was by design. Um, there's never a huge amount to say about that when you only get three <laughs> minutes for these guys to show off what they can do. But yeah, it was it was a nice little opener on the pre-show. I mean, they do sp- they do sponsor a, a, an amateur wrestling team, which which Oleg is a member. So I suppose yes, it was a good good job of like you know promoting what they do outside of pro wrestling, which was nice. 
Any thoughts, Marcus? Yeah, yeah. I mean, same for me. Um, I was, you know, first time seeing both of you guys, and, and, and you know, like Alex said, with three minutes, you're only going to get so much. But it was interesting seeing how they kind of turned up towards the end, which kind of maybe, you know, the, the spark to kind of, you know, kick things off and then kind of, you know, catch people off guard. But like, like Alex said, it, it was three minutes, so it was only going to be so much it was going to do. We then move on to something a bit more serious as great Okan Shingo Takagi Show and Toru Yano defeated Aaron Hanare, Duki, El Fantasmo, Evil, Hikaleu, Jeff Cobb, Kenton, Mikey Nichols, Rocky Romero, Raisuki Taguchi, Shane Hayes, Taichi, Tomihiro Ishii, Yoshiyubi Kanemura, and Yutro Takahashi in the New Japan Rambo match, which was the right to challenge for the King of Pro Wrestling title 2023, which of course does not win you the King of Pro Wrestling. It makes you the provisional champion of the King of Pro Wrestling, which you have to defend until the end of the year. The current champion at this particular time was Shingo Takagi. He had secured the 2022 title and was only the second champion in this particular very young division, which came out of the adult mind of Kazuchika Okada one afternoon after he'd lost the IWGP championship and was looking for something to do. Marcus, what did you think of this? I'm glad you put that last part in because I always had to remind myself, even though obviously I'm always rooting for Shingo, I'm like, who came up with this? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was what it was. It was, you know, I think what it almost went, what, 30 minutes, 30 minutes or something. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of bodies, obviously. And then, you know, we got to think with four guys advancing to the four way. So that, I think that's, that'll be more interesting to me uh, as a, as a Post all the clutter, but it was it was cool to see um, Shingo showing and and, and Yano uh, obviously move on to that that fatal four. But yeah, I mean it's it's a it's it's the you know multi man scramble if you will. So um, it, it was it was an interesting watch. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing for me was there's no guests this year, and that was usually the nice thing about the Rambo is you know you're going to get either a retiree while all the retirees were involved elsewhere, or you're going to get somebody from Glate or Noah or All Japan that was going to show up and do something, and that didn't happen this year, and I was kind of disappointed it didn't because that's been the kind of the draw of previous Rambos. Um, but yeah, Alex, what did you think of this little fun exposure of everybody involved in the show that wasn't on the show? Yeah, well, I enjoyed your rundown of all the people in the match. That was, I think you were going for Excalibur's uh, thing there, trying to get them all in in one breath. But um, can I read you this from Wikipedia, which is maybe my favourite sentence while I was uh, making notes for this. Um, On December 22nd, New Japan revealed the championship belt to represent the KOPW championship, replacing the trophy, which had been destroyed and vandalised many times since its inception. Which, uh, yeah, pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, I mean, like you say, it was it was a shame not to have some, um, you know, surprise legend, something like that. I mean, the main thing was just, like, watching it, how many guys were in this that weren't on the main card. And I guess that's the slight casualty, then, of doing the one-night version of the show that a lot of these guys who are, you know, you got, like, Ishii, on the on the pre-show like that guy should always be on the main card you know um yeah there are a lot of names coming out it's like oh yeah this guy didn't make the main card that's a shame but i think for the sake of uh the pacing of the main show it was obviously a good thing but there are a few guys in there that was like that's a shame that they're on the pre-show in the rumble 
I, I mean, there was those guys who just didn't make the show at all. Obviously, Chase Owens is still dealing with um, family bereavement, and um, Bad Luck Farley wasn't on this show. And yeah, Bad um, um, Tito, Tom Lawler, um, a bunch of guys that have used in the last six months. Um, I remember mean, Tom Lawler's tag team partner, who's quite good. Oh, he was in, in WA as well, and he tag team with Tom Latimer, and I can't remember his name. Him. Uh, yeah him anyway um but there's a bunch of them weren't on this particular show that kind of expected you kind of expected your new japan strong champions that would be machine guns to turn up at some point they weren't on the show either so yeah there was the 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 talent pool is quite deep for new japan at the moment which can only be a good thing but it does mean you just don't get everyone you want and um that's that really i suppose all right, we move on to the first actual proper match of the evening, shall we say. It's a bit mean, but it was the Antonio Inoki Memorial match. Satoshi Kojima, Togi Makabe, and Yuji Nagata defeated Minoru Suzuki, Tatsumi Fujinami, and Tiger Mask. Yes, you are right. That was Minoru Suzuki tagging with Tatsumi Fujinami and Tiger Mask. It was nice to see they put all the salty veterans on one team <laughs> and all the happy-go-lucky veterans on the other team. <laughs> Um, nine minutes and ten seconds. It was fine. It was all right. There was nothing wrong with this. There was an awful lot of going through the motions because, like, Kojima's wrestling in Noah at the minute. He's tag team champions, and you can tell he's a bit tired. <laughs> like, I'm only coming in to do the big spots. I'm not faffing about with all this chain wrestling. I ain't got time. I'm gonna go back and tag with Segura and try and knock somebody's block off somewhere else. Um, Fujinami, Suzuki, and Tiger Mask gelled remarkably well, <laughs> given the circumstances. Because Minoru Suzuki is slowly being, very slowly, really slowly, glacially slowly being accepted into the Hontai fold one night at a time. And we'll talk more about that later, since the end of Suzuki Gun on December 31st. Uh, Marcus, oh, sorry, Alex, you answered last time. What do you think of this particular matchup? Well, I like how you call you referred to Kojima, Makabe, and Nagata as happy-go-lucky guys. <laughs> <laughs> might be, might be a an ambitious use of that statement, given the relatively yeah. speaking. I mean, compared to look the, at other, the three, other three, yes. Right. <laughs> but this is obviously just the six dads beating each other up, wasn't it? Which is what yes. you want. Um, did I see that this was Nagata's thirtieth? dome appearance in a row like the yeah. january 4th show it's something insane like ah. that He's been every single one you've got to bear in mind though nagata started in the area where they would go to the dome three or four times a year that might be it i mean it's still yeah. an insane it's, start yeah oh yeah it is i'm not saying he's been there 30 years in a row because he hasn't wrestled for 30 mm. years yet but he has wrestled on every new japan dome the last 30 new japan dome shows yeah, that's. I think you'd have to go fairly back in. Either way. Yeah, he was he was on that um, North Korean show with Flair and Anoki on top. He was in yeah, the opener. Yeah, yeah. So, was... Yeah, obviously a nice yeah, nice that he was uh, in this match as well. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, it was what what you would expect it to be. Like I say, it was the six guys beating each other up. They obviously wanted to. You know, get all their stuff in, bring bring their best that they can offer for, you know, it's an Inoki mon- memorial match at the end of the day. So they were bringing their A game. And yeah, it was, I mean, the finish was a little bit janky, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> other than that, you know, I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really good. It's exactly the kind of thing you just wanted for 
nine, ten minutes with these guys. I would agree with that. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, man, fine, fair. Um, it threw me off to see Minoru with this particular tandem. Um, but uh, you know, not non-ironically enough, I'm always rooting for you know, the, you know, Blue Justice and and, and Kojima and. And then obviously you got Makabe, which like like Alex said, like these the happy go lucky guys. They're not selling it on the face. Um, but I'm always rooting, and that is like a just an insane stat. But um, yeah, like like you said, it was fine. Like Alex said, it was a you know wonky finish, but it was what it was. Obviously, this was uh, um, you know I think uh, an Antonio Noki Memorial match, so um, you know the. The sentiment was there at least, but uh, yeah, well, it was fine. You know, uh, under ten minutes, it, it did what it needed to do, and then, you know, we got the the uh, the smiling OG veterans, if you will, taking taking out the you know taking on the win. So it, it was good. Sorry, have either of you two seen um, Kojima's work with Segura in Noah? Because it's some of the best things he's done in years. Um, not necessarily no. from a wrestling point, but not wrestling from a wrestling point of view. But like Segura refuses to shake his hand, so he offers him he offers him his index finger. So Kojima shakes his index finger, <laughs> and like Kojima persuaded Segura to wear a suit and sunglasses for a photo shoot, and he was Love like, I'm, massive, "I'm massively uncomfortable." I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but this is making me want to. So that, oh I yeah, guess <laughs> out. That baby they wrestled Maru they wrestled Maruken last week on the 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 Budicon show. It was brilliant. Like Kenta wrestled better than he's wrestled in years. Kojima wrestled better than he's wrestled in a decade. It was one of the best tag matches. I obviously well, yeah, it was generally the first. Obviously it was gonna be the best tag match of the year. It had not to be. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, no, it, it, it was it was really good. And I strongly recommend Wrestle Universe. Go watch them know it's good. Um, let us move on to the first championship match of the evening. Catch 2-2, Francesca Akira and TJP defeated Chaos, Leo Rush and Yo, who were best of Super Junior Tag, sorry, Super Junior Tag League champions, um, who obviously traditionally get a shot at this particular show. 10 minutes and 29 seconds was a bit short, and there was a bit of a momentum kind of deal with Leo Rush and Yo. Um, they felt that they were kind of leading towards the championship, but Catch 2-2 technically slick enough to take the titles back and keep them. What did you think of this one, Alex? Because I think it's probably the first time you've seen Leo Russian Yo and Catch 2-2. Uh, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> TJP's still a thing. Um, that was, <laughs> wasn't the best way to start the show in that sense. Um, and he cannot do a face wash properly when you've seen like the brutal way Samoa Joe does it. And then you saw this TJP effort. Um, but yes, the match itself, yeah, it was, it was quite short. This was kind of a theme with the early matches because they wanted to give the time to the big matches at the end of the show. Fine. Um, but I thought it was really good for the time they got. You know, they obviously started off really hot with the dives. Nice to see Leo Rush getting a stage like this to shine on. He's so talented. He just needs to get out of his own way sometimes. Um, he got busted open badly on that ramp spot early on. That thing was dangerous. I think it claimed another victim later on in the night, if I remember correctly as well, but kind of added to the drama with the blood because then he was obviously taken out of the match for a while. Meant TJP and Akira could work over Yo. Yo is obviously great as a sympathetic babyface, so him taking the heat worked really well. And then 
Leo came in covered in blood, really added to the match, played into the finish because he couldn't hit his big move because he couldn't see properly. Um, yeah, you spoke about the, the momentum they had. I feel like they probably should have gone with them winning here. I think for me, that would have been the best way for this to end. Like it didn't affect Leo and Yo. I don't think they didn't lose anything in, in the defeat because they, you know, showed the resilience, fighting spirit, all that kind of stuff. They kicked out of everything basically. And then TJP had to resort to the roll up, but it felt like the right moment to switch the belts. I'm sure they'll get it in a rematch in the next few months, but felt like that would have been the better way to end this. But yeah, I don't think they lost anything in the defeat at all. No, I agree with you. I think that's the thing. I think um, there's all the business for Catch 2-2 coming up, which was kind of defined again the next day. Um, so I could see why they didn't go with Leo Rushinho. I kind of, I, I love Leo Rushinho because Yo's wrestling better than he has done in two years mm. just because tag, of tagging Leo Rush. You know, he, he's showing that kind of fire he had when he got to the final Best of Super Juniors two years ago. Um, he's wrestling a lot better because, you know, he's found the guy he gels with. Um, obviously, I'm a Chaos fan, so I prefer those two to win. But, um, yeah, and, you know, Akira and TJP do remind me of kind of like Andrew Tate and an Andrew Tate follower. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Without the, you know, horrific... TJP is not a horrific criminal who will be arrested in Romania. Don't get me wrong. But it does seem like it's kind of the angle they're going for, like he's a bad influence on Akira, which he is. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this tag team affair? Yeah, Alex, you're the governor, because, uh, yeah, TJP is still a thing. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, um, I'm always rooting against that guy. I'm always rooting for Leo Rush, um, particularly, you know, watching him over the uh, last however many years with, you know, his his, his many great ups and downs and, and you know, um, knowing, you know, how much he's kind of kind of struggled to, to, to kind of get center himself. And it, it was really cool to not only see him wrestle again, but seeing him found new life in, in, in you know, in New Japan and, and, and you know, we'll be doing your tag league, and particularly with Yo, um, who I'm obviously used to seeing with, with Joe. Uh, but he seems to have found new life as well. And it's, you know, uh, we talked about it, James, how, like, that tournament has, has really, you know, made some odd couples seem like David, you know, bring together teams that feel like they've been doing it for years. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, I, you know, like you said, it, it could have went longer, but I feel like they fit a lot of good stuff in. Obviously, like Alex said, that gnarly um, outside spot on the, on the ramp, that, uh, yeah, that whatever that, that was on that ramp, I'm like, that kind of reminds me of like some of Shawn Michaels' old gear that he used to wear that, that, that looked kind of hazardous. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that kind of very much took uh, Rush out, which played very well until the end of the match. Um, and also, like Alex said, they could have went with, in the opposite direction, but it felt like they kind of escaped instead of outright won. Because even with, with uh, Leo kind of having to come in and, and, and kind of, you know, get it, put it together with, with Yo taking a lot of uh, a lot of the brunt of the match because obviously Rush got taken out. Um, it, this definitely feels like they can run it back longer and, and, and stronger for a second run. And also, like Jane said, they got some got some other business brewing, but they, they definitely are not done um, with uh, Leo, as they, they call him. So, uh, yeah, this was, this was a cool way to kick off the show. 
You're good. <laughs> okay, so we move on to the first women's championship match to be held at the Tokyo Dome since 1994 when Big Egg Universe had um, Paul Nakano uh, taking the championship, the WWF championship from Medusa Maselli, who was then, of course, the Braze, uh, in the semi-main event of the Tokyo Dome show, which was Big Egg Universe. This world championship match featured Kyrie going up against Tam Nakano. It was five minutes and 47 seconds. And honestly, as good as it was for five minutes and 47 seconds, it needed to be 25 minutes long. You could run Tam Nakano and Kyrie anywhere in the world, and it would be an absolutely astounding match and would steal the show. Unfortunately, this show, this match was not about Kyrie and Tam Nakano, which is kind of like detrimental. I know what they're trying to do, and it's obvious what they were going to do, but if this match could have gone 10 minutes longer, but there was far too many other matches on the show to make it work, so there's an argument that like, mm, couldn't you swap something around somewhere? Um, my only complaint about this match is it's just too short, and it's like the kind of match they wanted to really cement the, the division as being taken seriously needed to be 20 minutes long, and it, they weren't going to do that. And I watched the qualifiers for this. I was at one of the qualifiers for this particular championship match. You know, um, I had friends who wrestled for this title. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it just a little bit disappointing from that point of view. And it had nothing to do with Kari Otamakana, who are superb professional wrestlers. And they have a story to tell, which is much, much bigger than this particular match was. But this match was all about what happened after the match and Mercedes Money coming and making her New Japan and Stardom Pro Wrestling debut and announcing that she is coming to take the championship from Kairi and that will be the next big money match for either a Stardom or a New Japan show. I believe it's a New Japan show in America. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you broke it down like that. And obviously, um, certainly I always take your word when it comes to the women. Uh, and then, of course, in this case, because you you know you you've actually gotten to attend some really great shows this year. Um, we're also in the latter half of the year. We're kicking it off in the new year. But um, yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that because the the limited time limit sold the narrative that that's just not true. Because I'm sitting up there like, okay, this is also Kyrie, you know, getting to do a thing. It was good. It's great to see her again in this particular fashion. Um, you know, doing it for the women, which is, you know, an elevating thing now in, in, in New Japan. Because um, it kind of came off like, okay, the Kyrie's just going to grease the wheels, get a, get a you know, get, get a particularly easy win. Um, and like you said, they could have went like damn it, 30 minutes with it and it, it probably would have stole the show. <clears throat> That's not the narrative that, you know, the match had to suffer to the narrative that was uh, for the debut. Um and as we get into that, I'm like, certain things that, you know, happened, like, they could have they could have just kind of cut that shorter and made this longer. But that's just, you know, that's just me. I get it. Like you said, I get it. Uh, and that, that, that was the big thing. That was the thing that was going to get all the buzz, all the news. But in terms of, you know, the foundation and what, what they're looking to do with this women's division, hopefully what they do with this women's division, um, they, they could have you know, showed and proved, which I guess may be, you know, looking forward to where they're going next with, you know, what happened after the match, because obviously we got an upcoming match, but, you know, like you said, I think the Kano kind of deserved better, particularly on this particular stage. Alex. Alex. 
Was that for me? Yes, Alex. Sorry. Sorry, you broke up slightly. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, echo what you guys have said. Like, yeah, exactly as you broke it down, really, James. It's you know, it was almost offensively <laughs> short, to be honest, to give them only like six minutes. I mean, it was a great six minutes, as good a six minute match as you're probably ever gonna see, but not the kind of match length you want to be seeing here with these two, you know, these two women, this new division that New Japan are trying to promote. And like you say, it was obviously because the focus was on the post-match and Mercedes making a debut. And it felt like they were trying to keep each segment outside of the top three matches around, say, the 10, 15 minute mark to keep things up. So I guess with this, the problem was they're factoring in entrances, the match, and then all the post-match with Mercedes you know, her entrance, her promo, everything else. So that's why we've ended up getting this situation. But yeah, I'm sure Kyrie and Nakano will will have a match in stardom and get the 20, 30 minutes they deserve. But it, it's a missed opportunity, really, for new, from a New Japan perspective. You know, why is a Carl Anderson match getting double the time of a Kyrie match? You know, it's it just seems stupid when you lay it out like that. But as I said, fun while it lasted. Um, I think any wrestling fans who, you know, maybe watch WWE and were tuning in for, you know, expecting the Mercedes debut and everything else would have been um, quite shocked watching Kyrie and how, you know, much she lays it in <laughs> in Japan and how much she was maybe, um, you know, put the WWE chains on her, so to speak, that she couldn't be that hard hitting when she was there. Um and Nakano obviously got some spots to shine, cracked out the violet screwdriver, which is one of the coolest moves in wrestling at the moment. Um, and yeah, it, as you say, like it was, it was what it was. It was the big talking point was obviously always going to be the post-match, um, which I guess I can roll into quickly. I assume we're going to discuss this next of Mercedes making a debut. Um, you should do really. <laughs> um, it's quite a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's obviously, it was like the worst kept secret in wrestling, basically. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Um, obviously, there was some janky stuff with like the move, um, her debut and the new move and Kyrie not taking it quite right. The promo was still a bit Americanized. Um, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm going to agree with Booker T on something from his podcast that he said... <laughs> Um, it would have helped probably if she'd done a little bit in Japanese, which I actually do agree with, um, because she did the whole thing, obviously, in English and would have gotten more of a reaction from the crowd, I think, if she kicked it off mm. in Japanese. But, yeah, I mean, she, she's just a star. Like, she carries herself like a star. She's obviously got borderline mainstream appeal. It's a massive, massive thing. And obviously, WWE never truly saw as the star she actually is because they've been so focused on people like Ronda and Charlotte, which Ronda Rousey has had a shocking 12 months over the last year. And I feel <laughs> like the fact that WWE backed her over someone like Sasha uh, or Mercedes now, sorry, um, would, you know, just seems like such a dim decision in hindsight. And it's that thing of Sasha's an in-ring performer is, was basically the best in that women's division everyone had their best matches with her um and this is just really exciting she's obviously a huge joshi fan so the chance to see her work in in this new japan division in stardom is hugely exciting we'll see what happens with AEW as well that would be massive news if it does end up happening 
Um, so yeah, one of we basically had the last week has been like a million and one massive wrestling stories, and this was one one <laughs> of them basically. Yeah, massive news. Yeah, I think as well. I think she was arguably the biggest draw of new subscribers to New Japan World. Mm-hmm. They had a massive book based. I think she was probably the reason. Not yeah. so much Will and um, Omega, just because obviously that was a newer match that was announced for the card, and we've known about Jay White and Okada for six, three, for four months now. So I think it was more to do with the fact that, especially like the, the, the that went round, and she is she's a massive star, and she is going to be a crossover star. Um, and the fact that you know there's nothing wrong with Charlotte she's a great wrestler and she you know and she is overexposed but she is a great wrestler and she's you know worth the money but even she just went on holiday (laughs) it was like yeah stuff this for a while because it was getting too much so it was like you know um, um, so this is this is the thing, isn't it, Marcus? What's your thoughts on the signing for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and possibly not quite confirmed yet, but maybe AEW as well? Yeah, man, it is obviously huge. Um, you know, echoed you know both you guys' sentiments. Obviously, this was you know the draw for a lot of fans. A lot. I think I think and correct me if I'm wrong, Jane. I think Chelsea said she was going to check out just showed solely for Sasha's debut. Yeah. Um, so that that's big. I think, you know, we've all been kind of lax the days ago in New Japan. So just, you know, that statement alone you says a lot about some of the momentum that was coming into this show. Shout out to Kevin Kelly, who even said it on commentary. It was, it was the worst kept secret coming into this show. Um, but, you know, when, you know, talk about presentation, when it comes to it, there's few that do it better. Um, and she, you know, she comes off like a star. Everything she does Uh you know, has a, a star appeal. Like you said, the crossover potential is insane. She's already been working on, you know, a lot of that even before she was uh, away from, from WWE. So, you know, now I just feel like she's, you know, fully in control and doing everything that she wants to do, even when she initially took that 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 uh, sabbatical that she took while she was still in the company. She, you know, I think went to Japan to kind of revitalize um, and reinvigorate herself to, to, to come back just to be, you know, Sasha now. You know, she's, you know, obviously Mercedes Monet uh, doing, a, doing a thing her way. And even though it didn't necessarily translate the best with the move, because the way it came off, it looked like, I'm like, I thought Kyrie countered it. Um, it almost came out like she countered it to an arm drag, but, you know, that's, that might be might not be the easiest move to pull off in general, so maybe she'll come up with something else. But um, to Alex's point, uh, and, and much like him, I'm like, anytime I got to give credit to Booker T, it's like, ugh. But, um, yeah, it might have <laughs> came off the promo in, in Japanese, and it felt like she was, I don't know, maybe thinking about trying to do some of it in Japanese, a little bit of it in English, but then she just went on ahead and did it in English. But, um, yeah, regardless to the fact, the whole point was to make a big splash and come off like a star. And that's exactly what she did. She's obviously going to put in the in-ring work to back it up. So, you know, very much looking forward to that. But it, it did. I wish they could have kind of evened it out better between her debut and the match. But, you know, it is what it is. Indeed. Um, so, then we'll have to move on to this particular point. The IWGP Tag Team Championship match. Bushimon, your reigning World Tag League champions, the second year running, walk out of Tokyo down with the IWGP Tag Team Championship belts and stake their claim to be the best tag team in the world as they defeat 
arguably the best tag team in the world, FDR. This was the kind of marquee matchup you want from Wrestle Kingdom, but again, it's a bit short. <laughs> and I wanted this to be 20 minutes because I'd watch this all night long. The best two tag teams in the world having the match of their lives. This is kind of what you wanted. And a lot of the things we talked about on the preview show do play into the storyline. It wasn't helped by the fact that Cash Wheeler couldn't get to the building until like two hours before the show. Well, the show had started when he got there um, because of ridiculous transport issues. But the storyline that's been told ever since the Briscoes took the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, the FDR were feeling it, the, the, the run out of steam, that this tag team one has, has been absolutely astounding, but all things come, come things to an end. And there was Bishamon ready and waiting with all the momentum behind them. Last year, they ran Dangerous Techers out of the building in under 15 minutes, and they do it again to FDR in 10 minutes. They are really pushing Goto and Yoshihashi as the tag team of the year. And it's wondering if they'll actually keep the momentum up this year, because within a couple of months last year, they dropped the belt and were out the title picture because they needed it for the G1. So they split them up and then they got them back together and run them at the belts again. And it was like you watched the World Tag League this year and they were not really cooking on all cylinders until the last two weeks. And then all of a sudden, there's liftoff. So Marcus, like me, a chaos fan. So what's your thoughts on this particular championship change? Yeah, I, I, I dug it. I thought, loved it. Like you said, this this could have obviously went longer, but um, you know, almost it almost would have been continued torture on poor Cash, um, like just hellacious. Like I don't even like absolute nightmares. I guess you can only call it. But that you know, um, there was some type of report. I don't know if you guys heard about some. You know, because obviously they talked about the crowd can't exactly do what it would want to do, but there was some report about uh. Weird fan freaking out and screaming, going crazy for Goto. I think it might have been a lady. I'm here to confirm it wasn't a lady. It was me, because um, <laughs> I'm that big of a Goto fan. But no, um, yeah, this was a good match, man. This was this was this was some great stuff, and then it's amazing. And this only just speaks to the talent again. For as many times as we coming up and saying that these matches are rather short, the amount of match that they get in. Um, and these time limits that obviously could be extended just because of what we know narratively with these individuals involved and what they still got in here, even with everything I'm sure Cash just had going on physically um, and, and everything else, it, it was a hell of a match. And, and you know, I think that the story got told well of, of coming down to the close falls and how many times guys nearly, you know, had to stay alert because you couldn't, the way the match was going, you couldn't stay on the rope. Like you had to be um, on the side, just waiting to, to break something up. So it was good. Um, FTR. It feels like they've had, they've done more wrestling in the past year and a half than they ever did in WWE on the main roster. Um, and, and practically almost the NXT run to, uh, to add it in, honestly, just with everything that they've done. Um, but they've been phenomenal. Um, and they, they, you know, they got business in, in AEW, so I don't, I don't know if they'll necessarily be complaining about the break. And uh, I never complain about Goto and Yoshihashi um, going over, particularly Yoshihashi, who, you know, kudos to commentary again, Kevin Kelly, like he, he did used to be a running joke, and not a joke on everybody else because he's, he's on a different level with Goto. So it's, it's cool to see these guys get the, you know, the tag team recognition and the titles again. I would like to point out 
There was two men who's never considered Yoshihashi a joke and for the last eight years have said, it's going to be Yoshihashi's ears. <laughs> it was me and Alex Watts. And yeah, we I'm were right, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when he was having that feud with the Evil about two years ago, he could have won the G1 and taken the IWGP title. He was that over just at that particular point. If they'd just gone with it, he could have won the G1 that year. It'd be incredible. But he hasn't been quite close since. Having said that, since then, he's won two World Tag Leagues, two IWGP Tag Team Championships, and two Never Openweight Championships. So he's never done bad, really, has he? So what you're saying is we were correct every year yeah. that we predicted that. Absolutely. Yes, I mean, that we was, were. It, it was funny because it was, it was like the two things, like, okay, obviously, like, I was rooting for him as well, but it's like, okay, this guy, like, the narrative they said him, like, this guy can't get out of his own way. And it was even more frustrating because he would get wins where it's like, like, put him in a main event. Like, he should have beat that guy. And then, you know, obviously things would go as they would go. But I'm like, okay, you guys obviously, like, he's going to, He's gonna get it. Just, just, just wait. And then the company's like, ah, we got you again. <laughs> so for them, to, so the, the things to finally turn over and turn over correctly. And then obviously, you know, uh, along with Goto, um, it's, just, it's just been great to see. He has one of the better stories. Um, if if you've been watching New Japan long enough to to see, you know, kind of come full circle with it in terms of success right now. So yeah. Uh, Snowboy on Twitter pointed out this week. I loved Yoshihashi when he was just a, a weirdo, and now he's just really good. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in that? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Alex, your thoughts on this tag team championship match? Yes, uh, it was lovely uh, for what we got. Obviously, um, for big meaty men, slapping meat, as Biggie would put it. Um, yeah, it was very much for four lads beating the crap out of each other wasn't it um the cash thing is crazy i heard as late as half an hour before the match he was he is when he got there so the fact that he was able to turn in this performance with very little prep time goes to show the talent really um like you say and and really the the result was obviously slightly telegraphed by the fact that ftr had already lost the roh and triple a uh, belts in the weeks leading up to this. Um, like you say, the story being, I guess, this is starting to take its toll. The cash thing, not planned, but obviously kind of plays into that as well. Um, I also felt like when FTR hit the big rig fairly early on and it got broken up, it was kind of like telegraphing it a little bit more because it was like they wanted to get the move in because they knew they wouldn't be able to do it as the winning move kind of thing. Um but yeah, this was this was a great time anyway, and they they obviously did do their best to kind of tease the result down the final stretch. FTR got a lot of near falls that Bishamon had to break up. Um, I think it's a good example of, like you say, FTR had an amazing year in 2022. I think it's another example of showing how they can work any style of tag match really effectively because it was slightly different to their usual structure you know the tags played less of a factor which is obviously typically something they lean into a lot more uh in their storytelling and yeah it was obviously good as we've just had a big old chat about yoshihashi there he ended up getting the pin which was a nice touch as well and like we say i'm sure he'll win the g1 now because it is always this year so <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, it's just his year. We've, we've proven that. I yeah. took us eight years. I took us six years to be right. Yeah. No, no further questions, please. We were correct. Yes, indeed, and and always are. Uh, I tell you what, what New Japan needs. Do you know what New Japan needs? It needs more championship belts. That's definitely what it needs. And we have a new championship belt. New Japan Put the words World right out of my mouth. There, yeah. The New Japan World Television Title Tournament Final. Pitted Zack Sabre Jr. against Renderia at 10 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. takes the win, which was nice. I liked the fact that he finally gets a championship win. I kind of burnished his credentials as a big name in the company as uh, Shane Haste and Mad Mikey Nichols came down to congratulate him and offer him a seat once more in the Mighty Don't Kneel, a faction he was an associate member of, well, actually a member of, back in his Noah days. Um, so Zack Sabre Jr. now in the Mighty Don't Kneel they don't really have leadership it's more of a flat management style that they have over there at TMDK <laughs> so we'll see how that develops but there was a bit of leadership skills from the show when we get to uh, New Year's Dash we'll talk about that later um, but yeah Ren Narita is outstandingly good and the fact he went 10 minutes and 32 seconds hold the hold with Zack Sabre Jr. to make this one of the best matches of the night it's my kind of thing, so I'm going to love it, obviously. What did you think, Alex? Yeah, and there's that. I just thought the Zack Sabre Jr. thing with joining TMDK. I mean, he is a socialist, so, you know, everyone having an equal role would make sense. Although I would like to see him, I would like to see him take on more of the leadership thing because I think it would be a nice uh, element, you know, with him obviously having been with the Suzuki Goon stuff. If he takes on more of a leadership role now, I'd like that. But yes. Um, first thing, as you said, another title, um, which, by the way, doesn't look great. <laughs> in my opinion, they took the TV part of the TV title super literally, it looks like, with the shape of the belt. But, um, yeah, as you said, like, not necessarily what they need more titles. It does make me think, why did they do the unification of the IC belt with the heavyweight title, you know, they made such a big deal of that then to just keep adding new titles anyway. But I do like the 15 minute time limit stipulation gives it a bit of a different feel to this title. Um, Incredible to me that this is Zach's first singles title win in new Japan. It just seems like I was just like, he must've won a title before now. So yeah, that was crazy. Although not as great. I obviously have to mention this. The promo Zach cut on the way to the ring has to get a mention here, which hilariously got quite a bit of pickup in the mainstream media in the UK, um, which was enjoyable. So Zach Sabre Jr., mainstream star, here we come. Um, but yeah, I think we we agree with him on that. Pay nurses, dickhead. Um, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the match itself was was great. Uh, Red Narita, um, not sure if you know this, uh, was trained by Katsuyori Shibata. You might see it in his style if you look really closely. <laughs> um, you might be and able to And the fact he wears it. exactly the same gear with it's monogrammed this... um, kick shoes, kick pads as well, yeah. <laughs> same... weird, that. The same guy, basically. It was, and obviously, it was great that Shabbat was at ringside doing the commentary, um, the Japanese commentary, and watching on. Um, yeah, he kicked the crap out of Zack Sabre Jr. at times. Here, it was stiff, and it was it was obviously good in the sense that it it continued this theme, you know, that's been spoken about on um, a few times. Zack Sabre Jr. kind of gets caught up 
kayfabe-wise of having his opponent's style of match. And he kind of, they teased that again with like the kicking exchanges and him getting caught up in that. But he sort of got past that in order to get the win with the armbar and win with the stuff that is is his thing. You know, that's his style. So that that was a nice little touch, I thought, kind of getting past the worst instincts within himself to actually get the win with the thing that brought him to the dance. And yeah, the TMDK thing, I think, like I say, is is really nice, um, you know, after the match. And yeah, I do hope he kind of takes on more of a leadership role just because he's he's so good on the mic now as well. And I think it would just be so fun for him to take on that more bold leadership role going forward in this. So we'll see what happens there. He's also pretty fluid in Japanese these days, which is obviously yeah. useful because he moved to Japan. So that, that, that makes more sense. So, Marcus, does this bring us any closer to the end of neoliberalism? <laughs> I'm going to take the laugh as a no. <laughs> uh, um, I had to like, do like two or three double takes. I'm like, how long have I been on scourge? Am I what, looking at Zack Sabre Jr. with weight on him? I was, it was, it was a bit, a bit off-putting for me, but it was also interesting to see. Um, and obviously, like you said, the, the promo was interesting, but yeah, I mean, that, that kind of seems, you, you would think that would seem obvious, but, you know, again, the world. So, um, but yeah, going up ball for ball, hall for hall with um, Zach is not only a, a brave endeavor, it's not, not actually something I'd ever recommend for somebody, but if you can do it and get it done, and I think, you know, Ren did his thing, obviously. And like you said, Alex was kicking um kicking the hell out of, of out of Zach. And obviously Zach, you know, got to his bread and butter, did his thing and obviously got the win. And like you fellas, I personally don't need any more championships dealing with New Japan. Certainly that looked like that. But um yeah, I mean they they they're going forward with it, so you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But it is also refreshing and, and cool to see him actually get his first singles title, which, like Alex said, seems weird with as prolific as he's become in New Japan with the wins and the matches that he's put on. But uh, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see what happens. But the match was the match was good. The match was really uh, really something to watch, and they could obviously, I think, in my mind, run that one back. So you know, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, the, also the mighty don't kneel was also an interesting thing because you know they've always been a tandem to me so bringing him into the fold is you know certain certainly uh intriguing appeal because obviously he with the uh the ending coming with with suzuki going everybody's kind of going off and finding their own thing so that was that was definitely interesting to see yeah for sure, yeah, for sure. Um, we'll see how that develops um i will point out that new japan have a new belt designer um, who designed the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship belt, the King of Pro Wrestling belt, and the World Television Championship belt, which are all as ugly as sin. Moving on. Um, Tama Tonga defeated Kyle Anderson for a really nice-looking belt, the Never Openweight Championship, 9 minutes and 36 seconds. Some people would argue it was about 9 minutes too long. Um, this was all right. It was nothing wrong with it. But we knew it was going to win. Because there's no way Carl Anderson's coming back. He's <laughs> got a day job. Um, and it was nice to see a WWE guy being allowed to go and finish up his stuff in, in New Japan. Uh, that was nice. I'm 
Tama Tonga's the ice baby face in the company and all that because they were they were he was over but he's been over ever since the um, bullet club kicked him out and um, so yeah it was good Marcus what do you think of this um I thought I was <laughs> primarily done with this cat I finally got him out of impact and then like him and TJP are like leave me alone Jesus um <laughs> They just, they just keep popping up. But one, it's called Anderson. Like you said, it probably went nine minutes longer than it needed to. Um, and, and two, he was a rental. So the fix was kind of, it was a foregone conclusion. Um, and then it, it it basically came down to a gun stunt off. I'm, you know, I love Tom and He's one of my absolute favorites to watch. And uh, anytime he gets a win, it's a, it's a good day for me. But yeah, uh, came, you know, came down to a gun stunt off and then uh, unfortunately, the last gun stunt, which won the match, came down to it looked like a gun stunt going wrong. Um, but yeah, they they got in there, they got out of there. Didn't need to. You probably, like you said, James, didn't need to go longer than did. But he got the point across. He handled his business. Kudos to WWE for allowing him to do that business. Um, and, and Tonga's back in the driver's seat, um, looking to do new things with this whole Bullet Club thing. Hopefully. Well, I don't know if it's ever behind him because it's 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 always a mess. But uh, yeah, new new momentum for uh, Tama with the championship back where it belongs, in my opinion. So I'm into the concept of rent. I'm into the concept of a rental wrestler. That sounds good. I like that. Alex, what did you think of this match? <laughs> rental wrestler. No way that would have happened under the previous regime at WWE as well. Oh, no, no. But then Shinsuke Nakamura wouldn't have gone to nowhere either. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Any any thoughts on the match? Um, yes. You know what? This was absolutely fine. It, I was worried. <laughs> I was worried. Like, we've, we've made a few jokes about Carl Anderson here. Mm-hmm. I was really worried that the show might take a bit of a nosedive here because if he'd come to phone it in again like he did against Hikaleo... It would have been a concern, basically, on what was a very good show up to that point. But I think he did enough here, Carl, to make this one engaging. He actually took a few bumps, which helps, um, including a big one on the ramp. So fair play to him for that one. And the whole story behind it does work in terms of Carl is playing it like he wants to exert as little effort as possible because he's just doing it for the money blah 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 but for that to work most effectively you've got to let the baby face actually hit you with stuff which he didn't really do in some of the previous matches but he did in this one so it meant Tama could actually get the comeuppance on him you know um as you both kind of touched upon, the the match result was essentially a foregone conclusion. They were always going to move the belt onto Tama, um, but it was it was a big win for Tama. It was a nice end to the story, as you said, Marcus. Annoyingly, finish. Anderson did botch the finish, which took some of the shine off the moment, really, because that was obviously such a big moment in terms of you know Tama winning with the gunstun was a big part of the story that Carl essentially handed the move down to him and all that kind of stuff so that being botched did slightly take the shine off it but you know we'll we'll see what happens now I guess the last couple of days there's obviously been these rumors that WWE want to sign Tama Tonga Um, I'm sure Carl Anderson has been putting in a word there so We'll see. Apparently his contract's up pretty soon with New Japan, so that'll be an interesting one to to track. 
um, what happens there. Uh, oh, and also shout out to the ref. This is very funny. If you notice this, when um, Carl Anderson did the machine gun taunt during his entrance, they all ducked, which was quite a good touch, I thought. I was um, Jeremy thinking me, Jake, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, everyone in the ring really basically good. ducked. Yeah, obviously apart from <laughs> yeah, Tamer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we move on to the six-man tag, which was the Kiyoji Muto final match in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He tagged with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shota Umino to, to defeat Bushi Sanada and Tetsuya Naito. There was an awful lot of play made the fact that Shota pinned Bushi uh, in this particular match, taking the win for his team, which was. You know, kind of considered a bit of a big deal because Muto didn't get the pinfall in his final match with New Japan Pro Wrestling. But part of me also says, "Wish he gets pinned by heavyweights all the time. That's literally his job." <laughs> um, and so it's like, I, yeah, I get you coming from. <laughs> and it was a nice spot where Muto went to do the moonsault and had to persuade you out of it. No, you crazy old man, yeah. you can't, <laughs> or your knees will explode. <laughs> um, because we watched the when I watched the um, Muto against Nakamura match, he didn't limp when he walked to the ring. And uh, one of the people, Mama Mutuals, that done Millennial, who uh, watches a lot of Noah, went, "Oh my God, the old bastard's gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I was slightly concerned because he didn't limp to the ring here either. Um, <laughs> so it was like, "Oh God, what's he gonna do this time?" So yeah, what did you think of this one, Alex? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I hoping Muto did a less controversial post-match interview than the one he did in Noah. The less said about that, the better, I think. But um, yeah, just unbelievable. But um, I mean, this was exactly what it needed to be, really, wasn't it? It was really fun for what it was. Perfect spot on the card before we went into the three big matches that people were were obviously really looking forward to and all the hype was around. Um Having, you know, the past, present, future angle to his team was a really nice touch. Um, as you said, letting Shota hit the Death Rider and get the big win at the end. You are right on Bushi is there to take take the pin, sadly, in this team. That's basically his role in a lot of these multi-man matches um, when it comes to LIJ. But it was nice. Obviously, there was Shota who did it. It would have been very easy for Muto to just take the get the pin there. Um yeah, nice stuff. Uh, the exchanges Muto had with Sonada was obviously kind of the heart of the match. There's a lot of, you know, strong connection there. So it made sense for them to lean into it. As as you said, that moment where he teased the moonsault was great. Tanahashi literally having to plead with him not to do it. But it was nice. It was a nice moment, that a nice tease. Um, Muto is wild, though, like you say, because he didn't limp to the ring. But he did limp. He was limping at the end because his knees are destroyed obviously but then he he hobbles to the ropes and then basically flipped out of the ring i was like what what are these japanese legends made of you know it's bizarre like they they're made of stronger stuff honestly but yeah essentially exactly what it needed to be for what the moment was and for where the match was on the card was my take yeah, I, I think that's the thing as well. If he'd been tagging with Marufuji and Kiyomiya on a Noah show, he would get that pinfall. Mm. Every day of the week and twice on Sundays. 
because he's in New Japan, where he doesn't have quite so much sway. It's a very anymore. good point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's um, I would because uh, we just uh, we discussed this. Like I'll, I'll mention it because the show the show went out for um, the Irish listeners on the radio show last week, or do we did the rewind last week and. Um, it hasn't on the Troop and Show channel, but we were discussing about the fact who benefited from Brawl for All. And the only person that benefited from Brawl for All, as far as I could see, was All Japan Pro Wrestling because they managed to get Steve Williams and uh, Bart Gunn at a knockdown price because WWE didn't want them anymore. And who was booking them then? But it was Keiji Muto because he's the greatest professional wrestling politician of all time. <laughs> there is none better. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this match? Oh man, I echo you guys' uh, sentiments. It was good seeing Muta, uh, Muta again. I seen some of the, uh, the great highlights from this match was Nakamura. That was a hell of a thing. Um, kind of glad, uh, you know, hearing hearing Alex that I, I potentially missed anything after the match, particularly a, a promo or what happened. Um, but the, but the match was uh, the match was ace coming here. Um, this was like you know this was good stuff. Obviously. Uh, mentor, mentee, you know, Sonata, uh, going, going back and forth with Moodle was cool. This spot about the 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 moonsault with, with Tana uh, was just hilarious because like it's like like a, a nephew that just doesn't want to see his uncle could go to the ER like stop, uh, stop, please, just look. That's what I, that's what I'm here for. Stop, like this, like I'm you know I'm the high fly flow guy. Let me take care of it. Um, and yeah, I mean like. Certainly, one thing listeners could take away from this 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 show one definitely is is James and Alex were always right about Yoshihashi, and um, two hopefully that 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 does go a year, which has also been a running thing on this on this show. Where Bushi isn't a pen taker, and we've been you know talking about that for years now, and we get it, but you know want to kind of see that flipped on his head too. But uh, yeah, the match was good. The match was fine. Um, obviously, Umino got the win. Uh, that was cool to see. And it was just, you know, cool six-man, obviously, like you said. Uh, Moodle's potentially last match in, in New Japan. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it, it, it also, you know, not a momentum in Umino's corner and, and where that's going. So, you know, it, it, it's fine. You know, Moodle ain't hurting uh, right now. Well, obviously, probably physically, uh which is kind of ironic talking about his knees, considering the fact that he, you know, does the shining with it. Again, to Alex's point, what are these guys made of? Um, I hope they start selling it eventually in my generation. But um, yeah, it, it was fine. It was good. And and like Alex said uh, before, he, before he talked about uh, the match itself, a good setup to prelude for these three bangers that we've got to get off into. Indeed. Um. Yeah, I just like this is the thing that does bad it is like Muto. Like, can't do the moonsault anymore. I'll best come up with another finish here. I know. Why don't I smack my knee into somebody's head? Anywho, <laughs> <laughs> we move on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Hiromu Takahashi retained or regained Mr. Belt, Belt Sun, as he defeated Taiji Shimori, the former champion, El Desperado, and Master Wato, 16 minutes and 43 seconds. This was an odd match. There was nothing wrong with it. It was brilliant. It was really well paced. It was really well timed. Just the way this match was delivered. The obvious thing about this match is the stories of Roman Takahashi and Elvis Verado. They can't run that at every Wrestle Kingdom forever. They just can't. They have to come up with something decent. 
Ishimori has been a laissez-faire champion at best, and the only reason why this match happened was, I'll defend it against all of you, so I don't have to wrestle you for the next three minutes, was the reason why this match got called so early. So it's had a lot of time to build, and then the story of this match is, Master Wato is really good, but not quite good enough yet. And that was it. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with this match. It's great, but it was just really odd compared to these big, deep stories we've had in the junior heavyweight division from El Desperado and Hiromi Takahashi because they're deep-level storyteller wrestlers. And as much as I love Taiji Shimori, he just isn't. He's kind of a very much a shock and awe kind of guy. And he's a brilliant wrestler, don't get me wrong. But Desperado and, Ishimura and Takahashi are kind of like trying to drag the junior heavyweight division up the car to be this to complete the work that Tiger Mask and the Dynamite Kid started 40 years ago. Um, and Ishimori's a really good wrestler, and that's that's the bit that... And Master Wato's going to be great, but he, as the match shows, he's not quite good enough yet. So it's just a bit of an odd thing. As much as I liked it, I thought it was a great wrestling match, but it's just not not as, not as narratively satisfying as it could be. Which is sounds like nitpicking, so I'll be quiet. Marcus, what did you think? No, I'm, I'm glad you said that, man. As much of an Ishimura fan as I am, you're not you're not wrong. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Hiromu is you know th- you know feels like a, a litany of personalities in itself. And and shout out to his raincoat, that was nuts. But um, yeah, the the, the gear was the gear was nuts. Um. Yeah, and obviously we talked. You know, you've uh, you know absolutely um, put over. You know, Despy's rise and, and everything that's been going on with that. Just the sheer amount of work that he's been putting in in that division. Um, like I say, Ishimura's always there. He's always been a stud. But like the weirdest thing for me, and it was funny because I'm like, <laughs> like eventually, and shout out to uh, Alex E. I'm like, am I sitting up here rooting for Wado right now? Like what? This is I felt I felt weird like I didn't I didn't, I didn't know how to take it and then I'm like I, I'm rooting for him I like his finisher but even Kevin Kelly called it out on on the thing I'm like the, like the doggone the the, the Hashi thing in the past the Wado can't get out of his own way right now but it's fine you know he's young he, you know he's got a lot going for him as we've always talked about he just got to put all the tools together maybe slow down in some areas accelerate in others and you know uh, find that that happy medium but he's on his way. Um, but yeah, um, Aromu came in and got it done a- as you do, you know, you never count Aromu out of these situations and it was a hell of a match, but like you said, narratively, um, narratively kind of goes to, uh, the next two, but you know, the juniors always deliver. So it was a good, good, good time. Yeah. In the back of my head, I had John Dinsdale's voice going, stop trying to take must make Master Wato happen. In a northeast accent, which I can't do. Um, <laughs> Alex, what did you think of this matchup? I think this is interesting. So I think opinions may start to differ from this point on. And it might be because I'm not <laughs> as in the day to day, you know, watching New Japan as much as I used to. So this, a few of these things I'm watching more in isolation because. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've all said the match was loads of fun. Um, and, you know, lots of fast-paced action, cool spots. You'd obviously expect that with the guys involved. Um, Ishimori, like you say, 
laissez-faire kind of champion. He was very much healing it up, not being the fighting champion. That was kind of the the theme that he wanted to win it as easily as possible via nefarious means. Um, I have not seen Master Watto before. This is me coming in completely fresh on this guy and watching this match. And he was the star of the match because they made him look like the star of the match. The three veterans seemed to go out their way to make him look great. And it's it's interesting you you saying about like them trying to make him happen because obviously me watching this in isolation, it, it kind of did happen for me <laughs> because they got it spot on. And that is this that's kind of New Japan at its best, right? When they, they do mm. go out of their way to try and make a star. Um, you know, he Again, I haven't really thought. I'm assuming he's kind of stepped in because she'd have got struck down by illness a few months ago. Maybe would he have even been in this match if that wasn't? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. No, they've been running. I mean, like I said earlier in the show, like Despy beat Hiromu at last year's Wrestle Kingdom in that glorious match, mm-hmm. and then the next day he gets pinned in a multi-man tag against Wata, and they've been running Wata with the belt ever right. since. Okay, and and he had. Uh, but the thing is, he's kind of been underexposed because obviously after Wrestling Montaku, I think it is, or after the G1, they tie up everybody. So if you're in a title match, you don't get to be in any of the tournaments, the tag tournaments. So obviously he was in a title match because they signed this before Super mm-hmm. J Tag League started. So he was underexposed. So you haven't seen him for a month, which is a good thing because I don't want too much of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and this is the thing. It's not that he's bad. He, 18 months ago, he wasn't great. He had all the moves, but no presence whatsoever and was mm-hmm. borderline and a danger to himself and others. So, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's calmed himself down an awful lot and his presentation's an awful lot better. And he's much better placed to be in this particular spot. Um, but there was no doubt a year ago, if they put him in this spot a year ago, he'd have blown it. Absolutely, I have no doubt in my mind, and I hate saying that because I always want to support wrestlers who are good, and he is good. But it, he, like, his first best of Super Juniors League, he nearly he nearly broke his no neck, like twice. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, <laughs> so um, he's he's a lot better position than he was, and I think that's the thing is because we've kind of like had to kind of forgive his shortcomings for so long. Mm. When it finally does click, it's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's it's completely yeah. It's just really interesting because I've come into this kind of cold in that sense, and he mm. he stood out of the match. I mean, also I know Ishimori, Desperado, and Takashi are great anyway, so that's part of it. But yeah, like you say, with the he has a really interesting move set, Watto as well. Like, and it's yeah. yeah. I mean, the three. He, Basically, he looked the most likely to win near the end. They really set it up like that. And the three near falls he got down the stretch, especially the first one where he hit his finisher, like that cool like crucifix driver he does. And then Ishimori pulled the ref out of the ring. I fully bet on that being the finish. Like they timed that so well. And I came out of it like they they probably should have gone with this guy. It's It's kind of interesting <laughs> compared to you guys because... Obviously, we know the other three guys can do it. They've carried the division for for years now. I mean, Harumu got the win in the end. Um, yes, it was cool to see him get the belt again after so long. Obviously, I love the guy, but 
there is also that element and this is maybe the problem with the junior division generally at the moment correct me if I'm wrong but what's left for some of these guys to do in this division Hiromu being a key one Desperado as well they've done they've been in there for so long and they've carried it for so long ironically it's the same issue that Kushida had right he left for and he left for WWE because they wouldn't move him up. But then he's come back and gone straight back into the junior division again because they needed him to to come in there for the star power. And I worry Hiromu's kind of just going to be spinning his wheels, wrestling the same guys rather than being able to step up and fight, you know, face some fresh opponents. Um, well, but- I, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but Despy had a match against Kazuchika Okada in New Japan Cup, mm-hmm. which was arguably Okada's best match of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's and, fair. Ta- and, and Takahashi's whole thing is, I want to do elevate the junior division, so they are the main event, not the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. So those two, are, I'm, I'm less concerned about those two. Ishimori is a Swiss Army knife. You can stick him in anything, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Wato, I think the I think your the, the positivity you have about him is because me and Marcus and John have, uh, <laughs> have had to suffer, mm-hmm. and you've seen the finished product. I genuinely believe Wato should have had another year on excursion before they brought him back. I think they brought him back too early, um, and I think that's I think if he'd have been debuting now at this standard, he would have been like jaw droppingly good. Yeah, but because we've had to deal with the botches and the matches that didn't quite look to expectations and the pushes that were too soon and the pushes that weren't enough and they finally got the formula right, has he been too overexposed for that to happen the way it needs to happen, if that makes sense. Mm. And it's also yeah. the fact that, yeah, and it's also like people like ELP, they moved him up to every weight. And it's like he hadn't won the title and he moved him up to every weight. Mm. You know, and there's no Robbie Eagles on this show. And there's all sorts of stuff happening in the junior division that's, I can understand where you're coming from, but equally, you look at the top of this card, and Will Ospreay's really a large junior heavyweight, and Jay White's a junior heavy, large junior heavyweight. You know, six one half a dozen of the other if they end up in which division, really. Which is also the, the thing. It's like Hiromu and Despy aren't quite big enough to be to be heavyweights. Yeah, and they can have a good same issue with Kashida as well, wasn't it? Yeah, they can have a good run in the New Japan Cup and they can beat some heavyweights in single matches, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good enough to be heavyweights in the New Japan division. And that's the thing, is they can't. So Yeah, no, you're right, because the thing with Osprey was he was always massive for the junior division. It was just yeah. that because of his style, he fit in there. But same with Kenny as well. Like They were too big for that division, really. But their style was fit yeah. until they could move up to heavyweight basically yeah which is i mean that's that's the, the like the thoughts on the x division and impact wrestling it's not about weight limits mm. it's about no limits is kind of the thing that they have to deal with here um but then again you've got a bunch of junior heavyweight wrestlers like if you didn't have the weight system they have, we wouldn't have Justin liger or el samurai or the dynamite kid or tiger mask or kenda kashin or a bunch of legends so what do you do <laughs> so yeah it's one of those things isn't it I understand what you're saying where they're going to go you got any thoughts on that Marcus I mean I was you know I was just sitting back and enjoying class um <laughs> between the two because you, you I mean you're right it, it is an interesting conundrum uh, when, when you talk about particularly that line of 
you know, teetering that line up between, you know, junior and uh, and, and actual heavyweight because we did see those transitions between um, Kushida and Osprey. That was that was one of the, the the best parts about their rise in the company is you know those transitions and and you know very much them taking upon themselves like I'm finna I'm finna you know try to put the company on my back and or division or use a title uh to the spearhead to, to kind of change narratives and, and and really bring um more eyes or, or put in a, a different definition of work um to, to kind of redefine some things but um yeah like i said takahashi you know ishi like ishi is you know like you said james will be put anywhere you know despy has been having a hell of a run um and it's it's interesting because like we said with Wato and shout out to John because you know that that's been some of my favorite stuff just talking about you know New Japan in general has been his commentary when it's come to Wato and and stuff of that nature. It's all been a good fun, but we genuinely want the kid to win and and get better and rise to, to the point where you know like Alex said it would have made a lot of sense for him to win, but also he still got some some stuff to do. So I, I don't know maybe. Maybe it is going to take somebody like him getting to a point where he, you know, kind of finally defines and hones his skills and, and, you know, changes a lot of perception and gets the title and takes the division in a new direction. But I, if you're not going to be able to have guys that actually make transitions kind of like Kenny and Ospreay, um, but you're not necessarily bringing in guys, new guys that, aren't in the spot of a wide toe to where it's like he got a lot of work to do and you don't have that happy medium. I don't necessarily know if a lot changes. And with a division as consistently talented and stacked as they have, I, I don't know. It's like I said, it's an interesting conundrum. It's almost a good problem to have, but a, a problem nonetheless. So um, we'll see. But like I said, you can't go wrong with a wrong move. But to Alex's point, you know, you, you do get to a point where, like, well, we, we kind of do need something new. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Okay. Oh. Right then, let's just move on to the double main event. The IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship was on the line, and the former champion, Kenny Omega, takes the title with 34 minutes and 38 seconds in a match that went beyond physical um, kind of believability at times. It was absolutely brutal. Um People are well aware of my opinion of Will Ospreay. And any time I get to see Will Ospreay's head kicked in for a good half hour, <laughs> I'm happy. So that'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you probably have a different take on it to me. I was going to so say, maybe our, this is one where our opinions are going to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got other things to say, but we'll talk about that after you've given your opinions. Because I think there was nothing wrong with the match, but there were some execution issues I definitely have with it. Okay, interesting. Okay, well, if if you'll permit me a few minutes here to gush about this, because it's all right, you can, you can, you can go. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it definitely has divided opinion, not just between us. Like I've seen takes at both ends of the scale on social media. Um, I'm firmly in the group of people who felt this was a masterpiece to be honest I maybe not the second or third best match ever like Dave Meltzer has rated it with the 6.25 stars but stunning piece of work I thought it was obviously a match a long time in the making didn't just live up to the hype surpassed it for me you know athletic brutal 
everything about the presentation felt massive, including the entrances. You know, they did everything to make this feel huge. And look, I... I'm by no means an Osprey fan. We've we've spoken about this on previous podcasts. And yeah, I still, yeah, despite that, just thought this was an almost perfect match. It was kind of both guys bringing together the best elements of their work, creating something really special. Um, you know, the storytelling was great. The drama, obviously the high spots were insane. Um, and yeah, with the issues with Osprey, which maybe we'll we'll come on to this in a bit more detail, but from you know, some of that is is shit he said outside of the ring, obviously. But some of it in terms of his in-ring work, from my perspective, has been that he can be a bit too over the top and pantomime at times in how he sells and how he fires up. But here it, it just he got it spot on, I thought. You've got to give the credit where it's due because it felt so realistic to me, you know, when the blood came in, he was really selling the effects of that and the fatigue, slapping himself in the face to keep going. Um, that all really worked for me. Kenny Omega, just reaffirming why he's one of the best ever, um, goes out and puts on another phenomenal performance. You know, the guys had one singles match other than this since returning from injury and he pulls this out the bag. He's... Yeah, he's got like a trio's ladder match coming up this week on Dynamite. Like the guy is insane. And he really went out of his way, I think, to make Osprey shine. There's something about Kenny's aura in New Japan as well that just can't be replicated in the same way elsewhere. You know, he's such a star in AEW, but he just feels bigger in New Japan. And part of that's all his history there. But yeah, there's just something that feels so huge about him when he performs in Japan and specifically New Japan. It was a classic Omega New Japan performance in the sense that, yeah, that all the stuff they did was crazy. It was brutal. The spots were big, but the way it was all strung together in the story just worked so well. Um, I mean, some of the spots like the DDT on the exposed turnbuckle was nuts. I, I felt like a callback to when Omega DDT'd Naito on the top of the ring post um, in that crazy match a few years ago. That changed the dynamic of the match so effectively, you know, took it to, you know, bringing the blood in, Osprey having to fight through, um, you know, having his head smashed through a table. There's <laughs> so much good. The Kreutz wrath off the top was insane. The hidden blades, Osprey was hitting directly to Omega's face. Like, I was watching this with a friend and we were both like on our feet going <laughs> going nuts and screaming at, at some of this stuff in the second half of the match and yeah it, it obviously all comes back to this underlying story which I think it did play into really well of Osprey is great in New Japan but he's still not quite as good as Omega, Okada, those guys and he hasn't truly been able to step into the shoes of Omega since Kenny left Japan and here, he obviously threw so much at Omega, but it wasn't quite enough. And then, obviously, Kenny ending it with the Komagoye for another Ibushi shout-out, which hopefully leads to something there. And then the one-winged angel to win it. Um, yeah, I I thought it was, for, yeah, phenomenal. I'll I'll stop. I'll stop gushing now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll raise the issues I had with it now. Okay. Which the, <laughs> just for balance. And the biggest issue I have is I have no sympathy for Osprey. Mm -hmm. So when he was getting bloodied and he was, it's like, oh, fair enough. 
I genuinely, <laughs> it's, it's, this is the trouble. It's like, yeah, it's like he's a heel. I shouldn't have sympathy for him. And I don't have any sympathy for him as a character. You know, not even as a, a human being. It's a, you know the the and the thing is, he he did like the promo that that they did at the press conference, which got everybody's like blood rising. Was you know, oh, the promos are great. It's like I know he talked about Ryan, and I'm very sorry to him for what happened about his friend and and other things. But equally, it's just like it's not a great promo. It's just him being angry, and that's not necessarily a great promo. And so there's things, there's execution things here in, in, in this particular match that I, I don't get the character of Will Ospreay a lot of the time. Mm. And because it, it chops and changes in directions. And he's obviously trying to work babyface here because Kenny's the heel, but he's not going to be the heel because he's Kenny Omega. Mm. You know, I, it's Kenny Omega in Japan, not affiliated to Bullet Club. He's a babyface. That's the, that's the way it goes. So, he, so then it becomes like, so what am I supposed to feel? And that's and right. I'm gonna have a more extreme reaction because I wasn't really interested in this match, so I am. But equally, there are there's these execution issues here that I don't quite get, and especially what happens at New Year's Dash, which is you know, Omega tags with Okada, so he is a babyface. So, what he did with Osprey was like, well, why do you have to go that far? And there's all sorts of things, and Okada and White got twice the response with half well not twice the response that's not fair they got the same response with half the effort to me makes a better wrestling match and a better story but i care about jay white and i care about kazuchi ricardo that's the difference yeah I'm... sorry go on okay no, you're gone because <laughs> the thing is i was gonna say i i agree generally and it was it wasn't the story i was expecting them to tell um, I did think that Will would be the heel and Omega would be the baby face and they did flip it. And it it's one of those where I I do completely agree generally. I don't think Will is a sympathetic baby face at all. But in the context of this match and just getting lost in the match, it did work for me. I think that was, and this might be as well, comes back to me not having watched as much New Absolutely. Japan over the last couple of years. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I, in, in in isolation, watching the match, it worked really well. I mean, you are absolutely correct in what does this mean going forward? Because they also teased Omega Okada in the match as well, with Omega doing the wrist control. So it's clear they're going to work towards that if they can, and Kenny's going to stick around. So it's very much like what's the thought process here is it just to make <laughs> is it just that will is gonna be the long-term guy which he probably is you would imagine he'll resign so you make him look like the big baby face down the line maybe that's the thinking it is but united empire is a, a faction entirely made of jerks and the yeah <laughs> 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 and that's the other issue is like so many things that were just off so and, it, and it's not like it's not even like kayfabe jerks Akira and Khan are alright the rest of them are horrible <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like you know so yeah Marcus we've talked enough bring some balance <laughs> to the force for us uh, great Star Wars reference again I'm just enjoying again I got a chance to sit back and be in class love it um to me, I, I mean, one, I'm a, I'm a 
We'll kick it off. I'm I'm 100% in, in the middle with this um, in terms of size because I'm 100% with James about with Osprey. Like you couldn't you couldn't give us a free, you couldn't give us free Osprey merch here. We wouldn't take it. Um, but at the same time, and going to that that exchange because I usually even when I was watching New Japan consistently, I didn't catch the pressers. But I seen it on Twitter. And I'm like, I'm not an Osprey guy, but the, there was a particular potency to the energy he was giving Omega in that uh, exchange they had. And I was just saying, like, when I finished watching, I'm like, if if they can kind of bring some of that to that to the match they have, it's going to be crazy. And there was and and going to Alex's side, um, there was a bit of brilliance to the brutality in this match for me that much like Alex watching it in isolation, having been on excursion and coming into it, um, it, it was executed really well. Like we, we got two uh, significant botches in the night, one obviously with Monet and then obviously coming with the um, the Tama match. There wasn't, I don't think there were any botches in this match. Like the, the level of execution in this match was on a, on a different gear. Um, and, and it felt like, Osprey had something to prove, and 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 Kenny had to come in and remind people um, of just you know who the hell he was when he was there, and I think it it blended really well. And and going back to going back to James' side, I'm not really sitting there and having the same energy for Osprey that I would have for seeing the Bushi in a similar spot, mostly because it's a Bushi. I'm like. You don't need any more anything to the head kit. Um but yeah, it was it was it was on a on a different level for me. Like obviously it's interesting them putting Kenny over because like you know he's gonna be obviously pulling double duty or however that goes. Um but yeah, that was just a, a potency to this match. But when it, it when it was over, it kinda came off like Omega had that the energy of that line. Like you were good, kid, real good. As long as I'm around, y'all would be second bad, see? Like, that was, and it was it was good that way. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought the match was, Alex's point, phenomenal, but I 100% get the, get the energy of it because the, the match that followed, it had so much historical narrative to it that I don't, you know, just the narrative, the historical narrative alone matched to, to James's point that, just the match itself beforehand so it's it, it's crazy but uh yeah i appreciate it. it it was it they left everything in there so yeah okay then we'll yeah. get to that match kazuchika okada defeats jay white in a match that felt like blessed relief which is the way championship matches are supposed to feel <laughs> when the oppressive world's champion who has been taunting everybody for six months ever since he took the belt um Finally loses the championship. This was great. I loved this match. Kazuchika Okada had not beaten Jay White in such a long time. Four wins for Jay White against one for Okada. The only win, of course, that came at Madison Square Garden. And the story was, can Jay White handle the pressure? Because Jay always puts the pressure on his opponent and tries to distract his own story to make it about his opponent. So therefore laying in all of that pressure. And of course, it turns out, no, Jay could not handle the pressure. And that is what cost him the championship against Okada with the realization kicking in that he was no longer the champion 
when you desperately tried to keep the belt, but then had to let it go to give it to the greatest champion New Japan has ever produced. Marcus, what's your thought on this main event? Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I mean, the expectations were one hundred percent met. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's Okada who is the standard, and Jay White. Um, who, you know, to me is the ultimate antagonist in New Japan. Um, there's not too many people that have come in the company uh, to me that have caused as much as a consistent disturbance on the level that he's had uh, in such a short amount of time with such great success as Jay White. Um, and particularly when it comes to Okada, because uh, obviously you have the Gato component. Um Infused in there, and God bless him. Gato tries to be such a such a little a little a little piece of garbage during the matches, and it's it's always interesting because Okada is no longer in the zone of I'm gonna stand here and take any of this. I'm gonna just take him out. Um, so that's that's always good to watch. But I mean, it's you can't really go wrong with with these two. You know, they they great dance partners, like you said. Jay White just knows how to get on the people's skin in a way. Um, they talked about it on commentary. Like there's a, there's such a cerebralness to what Jay White does. Um, that's almost you know a, a separate story running concurrent with the match, uh, even from the physical component. So, um, but they also they also said another great thing on commentary. At this point in the game in wrestling, you're not gonna outdo Okada mentally. He's the great, you know he's the, he's the best when it comes to mental chess when it comes to these matches because. He's the ultimate marathon runner. He's not a sprinter. He does straight marathons with these matches. Multiple time uh, IWGP, uh, obviously, uh, champion. And now, you know, with this title on his second run, it's, uh, it's it's different. And, again, another great point that got made on commentary. It kind of mirrors, I think, was it Wrestle Kingdom 9? I think that's when I first started watching when Tanahashi beat him. And Okada had to be taken to the back, and he was almost in tears. And they kind of did that here because normally you get Jay White um, with different energy after the match, and it and it came off as something else. Like I just like you felt like like truly defeated. You never really f- feel like you get that with Jay because there's always another scheme. But it didn't, you know. Even even if he's losing, there's always another scheme coming. It didn't feel like that here. So um, yeah, but phenomenal match. You 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 don't miss Okada. Or Jay White separately, but certainly not together. So, yeah, absolutely. This this was, I think, these interesting points you made there as well. You know, also on commentary, we had Gino Gambino back on commentary for most of this show alongside Chris Charlton, who was on fine form, brilliantly stating at one point as Aaron Henry came down the ramp, "Well, the tension's been building for months, and will he finally get it released?" Um, <laughs> And on um, and on um, uh, New Year's Dash, Dino um, Gambino said, I Dick, um, Dick Toe has spent a lot of time in Australia, you know. To which Carl spoke, shout out Chris Chart response, did, uh, did Dick spend a lot of time in the bush? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think Chris was enjoying himself this week. This week, um, it was like end of term. Oh, so, yeah, Alex, great. Alex Watts, what's your thoughts on this main event? Oh, I think I'm going to divide us again. <laughs> 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 um, so, 
first to make it clear this was <laughs> <laughs> this was great okay this is a great main event and in isolation probably a fantastic one um obviously you guys like both really enjoyed it um for me and i think a lot of people watching the the issue probably was that it had to immediately follow Osprey and Omega, which was already being showered with praise. It was also, you know, the fresh dream match with Omega return to the company, whereas this is the sixth time we've seen Okada versus Jay White. Now, that obviously gives it loads of narrative weight, like you guys have said, but it's also not a fresh matchup in comparison to the previous match. Um, So, for me, I don't think this quite had the oomph behind it to hit the next level it probably needed to. I mean, for the people in the building, it worked. I think this probably comes from viewers at home. Um, and like you say, maybe new signups to, to New Japan World who tuned in for a Mercedes or to see Osprey and Omega. So, yeah, it's, I still thought it was good. I mean, you know, it kind of reminds me of Wrestle King, I can't remember which one, years ago when Nakamura faced Ibushi in the co-main, and that was obviously yeah. an instant classic, and then Okada and Tanahashi had to to follow it, and it would have been easy for them to kind of underwhelm. Now, obviously, they didn't because it's Okada and Tanahashi, and they're obviously phenomenal together, but it was that kind of thing where they went out and had to have a completely different style of match, but raised their level to what had come before, and it, it just didn't it felt great, but not phenomenal to me, um, Okada and Jay White. And obviously the crowd really wanted to see Okada win, which which massively helped it. The closing stretch was masterful because it's Okada. That's like, he's maybe the greatest guy <laughs> to ever like put those together. Um, you need to stop make, trying to make the money clip happen though. It's not, it's not working for me. That submission does does not have the, the drama that I feel he's... like it needs. To be fair, he has like he has put it down a backstab. He did spend a year trying to make it his finisher, and it wasn't working. Yeah, but yeah. he's moved it. He's moved it to um, the. He's replaced essentially. He replaced it with the um, Cobra Flosion and the Avalanche yeah. the Avalanche Pile Driver. So yes. you know, it's now it's now it's now a setup move, not a, a means to itself. Yeah, he knows which... he's not going to get a submission with it. He does occasionally. Usually gets yeah. Chase Owens. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's obviously good for like the G1 and things like that, isn't it? For variation, but people just want to see him hit the Rainmaker, let's be honest. So, um, yes, uh, in terms of, yeah, other stuff in the match, you guys have touched on Jay White, like just so good as a villain, so funny as well, just his running commentary throughout, as it always is. I wish Kevin Steen hadn't re-signed with WWE because the thought of Jay White against Kevin Steen and like the the running commentary element that they could have brought to a match <laughs> would have been historic I think um, but yeah I mean you were talking about Chris on commentary as well he was really good at talking up the story of this match and Jay White's you know rise and this thing about Jay White being the villain, but he's the hero of his own story and he'll do anything to win. And that's what, you know, villains do that over heroes. And that's why, you know, there was all this kind of element to it, which was really well talked up. Um, 
but yeah, as as Marcus mentioned, you come out the other side and, um, you know, Jay White, after not wanting to give up the belt, almost accepts the defeat, which we've never really seen him do before. You know, he teased that he was going to have like the meltdown again, which the obviously the iconic meltdown that he had after losing to Ibushi. Um, but ultimately kind of almost gave Okada respect here, which is an interesting kind of wrinkle in the story. And I wonder if maybe a baby face turn is coming. Maybe he's going to get ejected from Bullet Club. Maybe that's the next steps. We'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, ultimately, yeah, very, very good match. But for me, it struggled to, to follow um, the previous match. I think as well, these two have really good chemistry, but I do feel like their match quality can be a bit up and down. Sometimes I think you put Okada with Tanahashi, it's five stars every time. I think you put Jay White with Ibushi and it's a classic every time. I, I never quite feel that with these two, even though they're both phenomenal. They can give you a classic, but they can also underwhelm sometimes. Maybe that's a a controversial opinion. I'd say I was going to divide us. So. <laughs> <laughs> One of my followers, some. Karen Marcus, go. Oh, sorry, but uh, yeah, I was saying like I kind of, I kind of get it because you can see some people that like, and I get. I think I'm, I'm with Alex. Like I enjoyed the, the previous match more. Um, not only because it was a dream match, but there was a, <laughs> there was a certain intention behind some of the maliciousness in that match that I appreciate, <laughs> and it, it, it really, it really, it really did it. But I mean, to to your to your other point, Alex, like it's some guys that come together and they'll have one match, and it feels like they've done the dance a thousand times and then you have other guys that have come together and they've danced a thousand times, but it feels like, you know, um, like, yeah, you could, you could do this better with another part. And I get that. And sometimes it's just like that, like you said, with, uh, him and the, him and the, him and the Bush and then obviously Okada Tana. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like you said, it, it still, it still was good, but there was just another gear, uh, that that previous match, um, and, and maybe also to your point, Alex, about potentially um, where this could be going for Jay, and and maybe this is me overanalyzing the comment commentary, but they talked about like it's interesting Okada obviously being the face and Jay being the heel, but Okada was in black and Jay was in white, mm-hmm. you know, and that and that whole thing. So it, it uh, which is also interesting with the attitude coming what we're going to talk about after the match because. You know, Okada's kind of in the zone of like, like okay, such and such may have beat me when I was here, but dude, I'm I'm back in God. I'm, Okada's back in God mode to take a certain uh thing from a certain performer elsewhere. Okada's back in God mode, and he's like, I'm not I'm not gonna be knocked off my perch again by somebody who beat me once when I really wasn't in my bag, so to speak. So when Okada is getting cocky, that's another thing. So that might be where they're going with it. So, um, one thing that did make me laugh um, was uh, Lindsay uh, BC for life on BC is for life on Twitter <laughs> brilliantly answered back to the people. The people that had a problem with the Jay White and Okada match. Um, their issue is the fact that they don't show Jay White enough respect. And that made me laugh, and she's right. <laughs> But yeah, um, I th- no, I, I I can see where you're coming from, Alex. I don't. It's not the classic rivalry, but one of the things, one of the reasons I like it is because it's not perfect. 
there's like there's a scrappiness to Jay White that's kind of in the kind of realm of CM Punk of being frenetic and not perfect mm. and you know that's and I think that's the thing um, is one of the reasons why I kind of like I prefer him over other people um, but yes we'll have to move on to New Year's Dash because we've been going for an hour and 45 minutes now <laughs> I was going to say, are we going to are we going to chat maybe the just the top talking points for New well, Year's? Yes, Death? So we might be here we, till next week. <laughs> yes, well, we'll go through the matches, give them the results, and then what happened, which is the important bit. The matches are kind of inconsequential. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the matches are a canvas upon which to tell several stories. That's how New Year's Dash works. And as ever, thus with the opener, House of Touch, Dick Togo, Evil, and Yudro Takahashi, your Never openweight six-man tag team champions defeated Renneri at Tiger Bass and Tommy Akiyama in the usual level of chicanery that House of Torture uh, come up with. There was then a beatdown of Renerita and who should make the save but Minoru Suzuki, who was then also beaten down, and who should make that save but Desperado, which sets up a six-man team of Tiger Mask, sorry, uh, Renerita, Minoru Suzuki, and El Desperado, who... Uh, well, kind of slinked off to the back, kind of together, and then did a press conference into together. And Narita was a little bit untrustworthy because Minoru Suzuki and Desperado are desperately trying to be baby faces, but really don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliantly, the promo going um, as as the boss said. I mean, as Suzuki said, just because mm. Suzuki Goon aren't around anymore doesn't mean we don't have each other's backs. And you know. You're a good wrestler, and you're cool, and we have a common enemy. So, could you would you, would you like to wrestle them together? Maybe was Desperado's words, which was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying hard to be good, but I don't know really know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, Alex, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I want to see those three guys tag together. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Like that is. That's an angry bunch of guys, isn't it? That's going to be fun. <laughs> but yeah, I like the little wrinkle in the story, like you say, that Suzuki Goon have broken up, but, you know, Desperado still wants to be with Suzuki. I think if they, if there is something longer term where Suzuki can maybe take Red Narita under his wing, I think that's, that's really cool as well, obviously. Who knows what's going on with Shibata, how much he's going to wrestle. Like, still, obviously, the fact he popped up and with that Orange Cassidy match randomly in, in AEW um, maybe can have more matches than we think. But, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Obviously, the dream would be that Shibata and Narita get to tag together. But I think we'll happily take Suzuki and Narita tagging together in, in the interim, for sure. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? First off, I'm not used to the concept of murder grandpa coming down and make a save. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and particularly, you know, the, the I mean, that on top of the narrative of him trying to be a good guy after what I've recently witnessed, what he did in Glee. Uh, <laughs> see, I feel like on some level needs to be investigated with that poor kid. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was, yeah. Um, but yeah, it it, it feels like like the concept of like him at this point trying to be a good guy is like when we um when we was getting good guy Tama, but the, you know obviously another level because of Suzuki is like if he had to move into a neighborhood that was solely created 
to to be away from where he lived and now he's had to move in and now he's going around in like one of those homely like sweaters knocking on people's door bringing them cookies and being like i just want to welcome myself to the neighborhood and they're like like honey get call the cops right now like all the cops <laughs> so that, that concept alone to me is 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 interesting enough just to watch him he don't even have to wrestle just that concept of him trying to be like a, a good quality friend and, and and support system somebody like Renna Rita who's like 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 is anybody else seeing this right now like I can't I can't do this so yeah, I just I just like that whole concept particularly with you know the, the breaking up of um uh Suzuki going but I'm I am also glad to see Despy still by our side because in a lot of ways that just makes sense you know yeah for sure uh the, the reference that Marcus is making about Glee Alex is that Minoru Suzuki did a guest slot on a Gleet show recently at Kurikan Hall, um, and he's wrestling Iska. And there's some nice young ladies in the front row watching, so Minoru thought they deserved a bit extra for their money and dragged Iska outside the ring so he could apply a double wrist lock so they could get a close-up view. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, let us move on to the next match, which started the new faction in more Suzuki Gun Fallout. Just four guys, Duki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemura, who are now managed by Takemichi Noko, defeated United Empire, Francesco Akira, TJP, and Will Ospreay when Duki pinned Akira in 9 minutes and 17 seconds. This follows up from the win they had at were Super J Tag League in the best match of Super J Tag League, where Taichi and Kanemura had catch 2-2's number and ran rings around them for 15 minutes. So this kind of follows up on that. Duki and Kanemaru, though they are Rudos, are actually really popular. <laughs> and there was some nice storytelling with Osprey in this, who beat down Taki Michinoku, who was just trying to take the heat off of his guys and didn't mind taking the beating just because he knew Osprey's a dick. So he was going to get beat up anyway, but took the, took the heat off of Taichi, Duki, and Kanemaru. It's an intriguing little unit that seems a bit nondescript, but I think the four guys involved can make it something special. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, it's I mean, it's certainly interesting. I mean, I think everybody knows how I feel about that, G. But um, yeah, I mean that 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 whole thing, and also United Empire is going to be what they're going to be. But um, that particular and this is going to be interesting. Like you said, again, it's the, the fallout of, of Suzuki Gun. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they see. Like I said, this has kind of been last year and a half has been the, you know, revelations of, of combinations we didn't know that, you know, we kind of needed until we, you know, we got them, particularly when it comes to tag team. So we'll see what this particular faction has to offer. Please. Alex, what's your thoughts? Just four guys. It's not it's not the greatest faction name I've ever heard. Um yeah, the yeah, it's it's interesting again, it's like continuing, you know, where what these former Suzuki gun guys are are gonna do going forward. So I think it's interesting in that sense. The name the name needs work for me. Um but yeah, like you say um continue some other storylines the osprey thing as well kind of feeds into what we were talking about before because he was a dick again here right <laughs> so why why had he just worked like the ultimate babyface performance to go back to this and i get 
obviously I get the angle of, you know, he was very much on the apron. <laughs> there was like a gasp from the crowd when he came out because I don't think people were expecting to see him after the match the previous night, but it made sense that he obviously looked glum um, and didn't want to do too much. But yeah, it's seemed a bit uh, heelish <laughs> to then batter someone after the, you know, after the match. But there we go. And manager as well. Not yeah. just like, you know, not just one of the wrestlers, an actual manager and a living legend in Takamichi Noko, but don't call him a living legend. He doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the next match. Mighty Neil, Mikey Nichols, Shane Haston, your new TV champion, Zack Sabre Jr. Will took a win when Shane Haste pinned Yoshihashi, uh, the uh, Hiroki Goto and um, Tomohiro Ishii, which kind of set up the two championship matches from the two championships in this particular match. Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi will look lined up to go up against the Mighty Note Neil as the tag team and Tomohiro Ishii going up against Zack Sabre Jr. But the really big story out of that, this match is as they're sat on their ringside and they sat on the apron as they normally do to make their comments in post-match style, Zack Sabre Jr. goes, we need one more guy and then offers a t-shirt to his friend and the guy that helped him in the G1 Climax against evil Kosei Fujita. And that would be the first time a Japanese wrestler has become part of a faction whilst still in the dojo, which is really interesting. And he looks terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. He's like, are you sure you're allowed to do this? Um, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure exactly it with anyone first. But yes, Kosei Fujita, now a member of the Mighty Dope Neil. Um, Cody, Cody Hall, son of Scott Hall, was a member of Bullet Club whilst he was even boy in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That was the last one I can think of. And obviously, Shooter Umino came into the ring of John Moxley, but he wasn't in the faction. What's your thoughts on this one, Alex? Yeah, forgot completely forgot about the Cody Hall thing. But yeah, that's yeah, that's the only other big time it's happened. That's interesting. But yeah, I, I love the them handpicking Fujita. I thought that's a really cool thing. It's like you say, it's a fresh direction to go. Um you know, it is kind of like when Mox handpicked Dumino, but bringing him into the faction, yeah, is really nice. It kind of feeds into as well, is Zach the leader? You know, like we said, is he going to take on more of the leadership role? This would kind of imply um, that he is. I mean, the feuds potentially coming out of this, as like you say, um, Bishamon against TMDK, Ishii against Zach. Yes, please. <laughs> to both of those, I think that that's some great stuff being set up. Um, yeah, I, I think this Zach and TMDK faction is is really interesting. I'm really intrigued to how it's how it's going to play out, particularly with this edition, which is which is different. Yeah, I mean Jonah was um, kind of in a leadership role. He was the one mm. that brought big bad dude Tito into TMDK. But obviously, he's gone to WWE now. Um, not to say he isn't a member of TMDK. I think he always will be a member of TMDK in the greater scheme of things. And Shane Haste and um, Mad Mikey Nichols both were like wished him well in his WWE run because they want to see the guys in their team succeed. So um, it's interesting to see where they will go with this, though. Marcus, what's your thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm you know, similar to. You know, the Alex in that regard, I mean, first off, the, the Mighty Don't Neil already a problem as a team. Then you add <laughs> Zach Sabre, uh, you know, as a third. That is, that's a, that's a six man. You'll put up, you can put up against anybody. 
Now you bring in a fourth guy who I'm not necessarily familiar with, but I would imagine they're not picking a scrub. So, I mean, they just going to be a formidable uh, situation. And then obviously, like you said, the championship implications are very intriguing coming out of the match. Uh, but obviously, you know, Golden Hashi versus uh, Mikey and Shane. And then, you know, um, the, you know, the, the title that almost, almost seems synonymous with Ishii, you know, the never open way, which, you know, I don't, you know, obviously we've seen him and Ishii uh, dance before, but, you you know, that's that's something you can always run back. So I just think it's a it's a real cool situation. And obviously, um, I don't know if they're going to stop with four. But that seems like a, you know, a solid number for the time being. Obviously, like you said, you, you had, you know, Jonah with the situation, but obviously he's elsewhere. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with going forward. You know, and that's 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 me saying that very much loving the K- my, you know, like chaos trio of Ishii, Goto, and, and, and Hashi. So I think things are really going to turn up. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, then, uh, what happened next? Gorilla's Destiny, Hikaleo, Tamatonga, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Master Wato defeated Bullet Club, El Fantasmo, Jay White, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori when El Fantasmo managed to bang Hiroshi Tanahashi in the head with the Never Open Weight Championship. Or was it Tamatonga? Kind of sets up ELP versus Tamatonga for the Never Open Weight Championship. But the big story coming out of this particular match was Jay White finally losing his rag with Hikaleo and blaming him for everything that's gone wrong for him since he Hikaleo decided to become part members of Gorillas of Destiny and Hontai again and leave Bullet Club behind um, because Jay White couldn't manipulate him anymore. Um, and as a result of that, Jay White has challenged Hikaleo to a loser leave Japan match. So I don't know what about the politics that is here because everyone kind of went, oh, so he's going to go to New Japan strong, whoever loses. Well, yeah, except for the fact that Tanahashi announced this morning New Japan strong will no longer exist. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, what are they going to do with this then? Because as far as we know, Hikaleo, both Hikaleo and uh, JY are under contract to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's not like they're going to just like leave to go to AEW. I suppose they could send him to Impact or to AEW, um, which would suggest Jay White, who lives in Florida, would be the person that's going. Um, so we could have another year off and just um, wrestle in North America for a bit and then just do the big shows in North America. So that kind of telegraphs that, because I don't think they want to get rid of Echo because they're only just going back to Japan. It's a bit complicated. Marcus, what do you think? Yeah, pardon me. I must, uh, my mistake earlier because I obviously my boy Thomas had never opened weight, and I was just actually able to use the TV. Um, so that would be that uh, with that correction. But yeah, I mean it's interesting because Higaleo's always been uh, kind of kind of an odd duck to me when it's coming to this whole thing. Obviously, you got the the, the real life. Uh, situation with the with the gorillas but you know he's i don't know if he's ever really found for me anyway watching him his 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 defined role and consistent um thing so for this with him potentially like you said potentially being uh put elsewhere may present an interesting uh lane for him to go down and potentially you know garner some more momentum elsewhere but again like you said um it may, it may come off awkward if he goes, like you said, I think you said the impact of somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But that, I did not, 
I did not see that coming, which made that, you know, very, very much intriguing. And obviously, things are always interesting around Jay White. So um, it's going to be intriguing to see how that, that that turns out because everything that's going on right now with, with Tom kind of reshaping things, you know, around him or what have you is, is you know, setting up some very potentially um, awkward scenarios. Alex, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, all this stuff from the match, like you say, ELP and Tama potentially being set up, um, Watto and Ishimori maybe as well, which I'm intrigued by, having seen the, the previous match. Um, but yeah, the the Jay White-Hikaleo thing, like you say, is, is really interesting. I think, James, what you've said about it being Jay White who ends up losing maybe does make the most sense if the thinking is that he can go to AEW maybe and and be a guy there for a few months and maybe build his presence with the US audience a little bit more and then and then come back and you know obviously as well you've got the element that he's just lost to Okada where does where does he go now is it better for him to go away for a few months than be you know kind of treading water in the mid card before they can move him back up. It's it's always tricky, isn't it, when the the main event at Wrestle Kingdom, the loser, where do they go from there? There's sometimes like they do have to spin their wheels a little bit. So that could be a way around that. Um so yeah, in, interesting one. Like we've all touched on, not a direction I was anticipating really. So it'd be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah, see, I mean, you, exactly. Like Shingo Takagi last year lost the main event on the mm. fourth, and then was in the opening match on the fifth. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> it, it's it is that thing of they've got to logically within the new Japan structure they've got to move down again to work their way back up, but that sometimes makes it you know tricky in terms of the actual you know the matches yes. and things like that. And speaking of Shingo Takagi, he wins the new King of Pro Wrestling Championship match, defeating Great Okan, Asho, and Toru Yano in a nice little match that just kind of ungled along from one thing to another. <laughs> but it's, basically, it was just like, how do we get rid of Show? It's three people trying to get rid of Show. Basically, that was <laughs> that was the story of this match. It was about nine minutes of th- nine minutes of three people trying to get rid of Show. And then two minutes of Tariano avoiding wrestling Shingo Takagi and Great Okan and eventually getting pinned anyway. So that was that. And your new King of Pro Wrestling champion is uh, Shingo Takagi. Alex, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, well, I think we knew Shingo was winning this because he obviously came out um, after the main event the previous night. He's going to be Okada's first challenger, so... He couldn't lose here, really, could he? He had to oh, win really? for that no, to, a, for that to work. This one, to be honest with you, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was it was a nice little match while while it happened, and then yeah, whether there's some kind of unification type thing with Shingo and Okada, um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it was it was the only logical outcome they had to go with, really. Yeah, uh, Marcus, any thoughts? Oh, same. I mean, that that sounds fine. I wouldn't expect anything uh, more than than what you said. I mean, it just it just fit them again, kind of like a foregone conclusion, like I always say, because people would have kind of looked dumb 
to kind of kick him out there, challenge him, and then uh, with him, I think, being the previous, obviously it makes sense for him to challenge him with him having, I guess, the title that Okada basically uh, came up with. So it all just, just fits. And then the, the concept with them just trying to get with the show, that just was something for the match. But, yeah, it, it was fine, it, you know. Uh, then we go to the main event. Kazuchi Ricarda tagged with Kenny Omega to defeat United Empire and Henry Jeff Cobb. This kind of sets up Jeff Cobb as the number one contender to Kenny Omega and give Kazuchi Ricarda something to do. It was a nice surprise. All of New Year's Dash is not announced. The only thing we knew about was the new the King of Pro Wrestling Tournament Championship Final. Um, so when Omega came out and Okada came out to tag with him, that was something special. It's the only show of the year where you get this kind of things happening, and that was great. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this final match that we're talking about in this New Japan segment of this show? Look, man, it's, I mean, you know, you know, rivals, the the partners, who would have thought it with everything that's happened and transpired or what have you, it was, a, it was an interesting sight, you know, but like you said, it's, it's, it's New Year's Dash that we get this, this type of stuff, so I think just for that alone, uh, coming off both of their big wins uh, with that history, them being side by side, obviously, in, in separate places than they were uh, from every perspective, really. When you when you go back and look at that that legendary, uh, you know, feud of theirs, it was it was cool. And obviously, the concept of Omega versus Cobb is already you know tantalizing. So, you know, uh, they definitely closed it out with with you know some, something for people to see. That was to me, I think that was one of the only things. Uh, that I saw anyway coming out of this show that people were talking about. So, you know, the, whatever, whatever the plan was, I think I think it went over well. Definitely. Alex, any other thoughts on this last match? Yeah, I mean, to kind of echo what you guys have said, like, it, obviously huge shock for people in the building and people watching that Omega was still there. Even, you know, I think a lot of people thought he'd already flown back after the match with Osprey. So it was a big surprise for him to come out and to be tagging with Okada. You know, historic, <laughs> you know, quite the dream team, that one. Um, something we didn't necessarily think we'd see. Again, points towards they're going to build to match number five. There must be some kind of deal being worked out for Kenny to stick around. Where that happens and when that happens, we'll see. But obviously, is the huge money match for New Japan. And if it can be some crossover with AEW, I'm sure they'll work that in. Um, other surprise was that obviously Omega had a huge black eye. I was shocked it wasn't fully closed up, to be honest, because it looked nasty during the match. So, yeah, I, w- I was surprised he could wrestle with it in that sense as well. Um yeah, just a lot of fun. The Rainmaker V-Trigger combo was great. Probably should have been the finish, to be honest. Okada ended up hitting another Rainmaker after that for the win. Um, and yeah, as Marcus said, Omega Cobb is a hugely fun one to look forward to. I think that they will mesh really well. That'll be a fun one to watch. And obviously, Okada Shingo is the, the immediate direction. So both of those matches are, are really intriguing and should be a lot of fun but yeah i'm very interested to see where the okada omega thing leads to and what the time scale is on that right then well that kind of wraps up our coverage of uh, wrestle kingdom 17 and new year's dash and of course great version four so i'd like to thank my guests today 
Mr. Alex Watt, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for joining us. No worries. Nice to be here. I'm worried I'm going to now be pegged as some kind of Will Ospreay fan, which is not what I ever expected <laughs> to happen. But, you know, I can't lie about how good I found that match. So there we go. But yeah, let's um, let's hopefully do one of these again much sooner than the gap between <laughs> my last appearance. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Uh, at AlexWatt187 on Twitter for... Um, political and football and wrestling musings. Just nonsense, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. What, where can we find you on the internet, sir? Oh, man, always always a pleasure. and glad I was able to get back on here with uh, Alex. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ParadoxKid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always down the chat. You can find me on Twitter at SherryFunstar. You can find me on Instagram at SherryFunstarTX. You can find me on Mastodon as well if you want. I've only got one follower on Mastodon because the, the Sophia, who is the person I follow on Twitter, who is a Mastodon server, I, I joined because she was on there and she said it's great. And it is really good, except there's only one person who follows me. So follow me on Mastodon. You can find the show on uh, Discord, Troopany Show Podcast. You can find it on Instagram too, The Troopany Show, and on Twitter, Troopany Show. And you can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you keep the show free forever for everyone. We'll be back next week with loads more Japanese wrestling to talk about. But thank you very much for listening today. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. (laughs) 